This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Hello everyone, and welcome to Chapter Tactics, your 40k podcast which focuses on playing warmer 40k competitively at all levels of the game. I'm your host, Petey Pop, and with me I have the one, the only, the finest hour host, Sean Morgan. Only mildly exhausted after the weekend. And I have, swooping all the way from the north, our stat guy for the, the stat episode of 2018, even though we're in 2019, Mr. Peter the Falcon. I am not mildly exhausted from the weekend. <laughs> Sean had a crazy weekend. There was a he lot did. of there was a lot of stuff going on there. Some, not all it of it fun, was though. PG. <laughs> we tried right. to keep it around there. But. <laughs> so, anyways, if you guys are not aware, we are doing a gear review. Of 2018, I talked about it last episode. This is it. This is going to be the year in review. 2018. Peter has uh, an insane amount of stats. Uh, it'll be very uh, illuminous, I believe was the word he used um, for you guys. So if you guys are wondering how your faction did in 2018, how your faction performed, how uh, other factions performed, how what the top lists did, how they performed against each other, what units were made the top four and were most common in the top four, etc., etc. This is for uh, hundreds of events, Peter? How many events? Uh, it, quite a few. It, it covers about 12... Yeah, about 12,000 games uh, that have that were take, that took place between July and, uh, and, and December. And whatever you could pull from before then. Yeah, for sure. But, yeah. I did yeah, my so, best. Yeah, so so this this is a almost a full 2018 year in review. Um, certainly after the the summer FAQ um, and kind of modern, not I don't want to say modern, but current 40k Eighth Edition as we know it now. Um, so definitely relevant. Um, if you are competing at the LVO, the Las Vegas Open, or if you were going into 2019 wondering what armies to bring. Uh, if you're going to a big event, if you're planning, if you just want to have a good time, you want to be a little more competitive, this is the episode for you. Uh, we are going to be telling you guys all sorts of good stat stuff, proven proven things to show what is doing well and what isn't. So, moving on to the introduction. I've just got a couple announcements and introductions I wanted to make before we go into the nitty-gritty and meat of the episode. First and foremost... Our Chapter Tactics Patreon is not live yet. Uh, I probably won't be live until after the LVO, I want to say. I, I don't know. It depends on how long. Um, you know, there's there's stuff behind the scenes that I can't talk about. 
um, with like frontline gaming. Um, and then there's also some other things I want to make sure that are perfect before I get done because I want to really kind of host a professional Patreon for you guys, something that you guys will gladly subscribe to um, with extra content and all that good stuff. But even though we're not live, we still have people who've signed up. Um, it's actually patreon.com slash chapter tactics. It's not a very pretty page yet. The pledges are probably or may change um, in the future, depending on how I see it works and what, what I can and cannot do. Um, but we already got two VIP patrons signed up. So two people, Mr. Edward, all the way from the UK, and Mr. Dallas, an aspiring tournament 40K or 40K tournament TO uh, from the South. Both of you guys pledged $50 or more to become VIP patrons. They were both well on their way to reaping the benefits of that pledge, uh, with Mr. Dallas getting a free model and a great, great deal on terrain for his first tournament. Uh, and Edward, who is new, I haven't had a chance to work with him yet, but we're going to get Edward a lot of good stuff too. So I definitely take care of my VIP patrons. If that's something that you're interested in, I would sign up uh, and then we can work out something because I'm for sure going to take care of you guys. Anyways... That's it for the Patreon thing, so it's not live yet, but it will be soon, maybe by the end of the month, but probably after the LVO. Also, speaking of the LVO, the Las Vegas Open head judges released a video, uh, a public service announcement, if you will, of what you would expect at the LVO, what rulings you would see, kind of answering clar clarification questions about modeling, uh, conversions, terrain it's, it's just a really really good video and it's very important in my opinion for all players to watch not just if you're attending the lvo but if you're going to be attending a frontline gaming event i imagine a lot of bigger tournaments will use this kind of video as uh as a, a stepping stone or as evidence for rulings in their events i think it's a very good framework for uh, an event who wants to be taken seriously who want to have a judge staff and whose judge chef wants to be able to tackle these kind of questions. Um, would you guys, you guys both watch the video. Would you guys agree with me? Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of useful information in there. Um, there are some things in that I, I question whether it's like, is that the way I would do it at my event? But the truth is that ITC and, and Frontlines tournaments in particular have kind of set the bar for most everyone else. And even when other tournaments do differentiate from it, uh, their differentiation is notable because it is different from the way that most tournaments do things. Yeah, I agree 100%. As someone who's only been able to attend uh, one major in all of my long, long life... Um, <laughs> uh, Frontline really has, it does set the bar. I've done enough... Uh, RTTs and uh, GT level events to to see um, like it's a special thing what they do so and while you're watching this special thing that we do or that I'm uh, sorry not we that the LVO judges do and I guess we too in a way because we also put it together uh, keep in mind that the judges um, that what well, the rulings you see in the video and what the judges are talking about do only pertain to the Las Vegas Open. So don't go into those forums, YouTube comment section, Facebook groups, and start saying, you know, oh, the the ITC just passed rules on conversions and now this is the law. And if you don't, you know, don't do not do that. Don't just, just, just don't do that. This is for the Las Vegas Open only. You can use them as guidelines if you want. However, this isn't the ITC uh, coming down with an iron fist um, and declaring martial law. You know, uh, which which is seems to happen yeah. every time Reese mentions even even like the slightest rules thing on like a signals page. So, 
Well, it's it's interesting because the ITC itself only specifies like four or five things that you have to do to be an ITC tournament. And none of them are like particularly strict. You know, you need to have a win-loss system, you need to have a certain number of rounds and a handful of other things. But really, they're all things you would probably be doing anyways. Uh, outside of that, you can do whatever you want. It's just that most people choose to follow the same format that Frontline uses because it seems to work. Yeah, it's just it's a common misconception. And I know, of course, people online are someone somewhere is going to post this video up on Reddit or something and say, oh, this is, you know, I know it's going to happen anyways. But um, if you're listening to this podcast, you know, and you see a post like that, just politely, calmly inform the person that that's not what ITC is all about. Of course, because we are all ambassadors to this great game and in return also the ITC, if you're listening to this podcast. Or maybe you're not. Maybe you just listen to this podcast and you hate the ITC. If not, or if you if you are one of those people, <laughs> you know what? Hey, I've got thousands of people listening. So, so you know, chances are that happened. Welcome to the Chapter Tactics. And I'm glad you've been listening despite your hatred for the ITC. I hope you keep listening on. I try to be fair. Uh, and not just ITC focused. So, anyways, to, to to those twelve people or whatever, I actually don't know. That'd be an interesting stat. If you hate the ITC, email me frontlinegamingpdpub at gmail dot com. <laughs> I want to know who out there listens to Chapter Tactics and despises the ITC. That would be very funny. Frontlinegamingpdpub, um, eh? Frontlinegamingpdpub at gmail dot com. Okay. Thanks. You might be setting yourself up for a really interesting weekend. <laughs> you know, I, I like I like the emails I get from you guys. From all walks of life, I get gamers from Cambodia, from, you know, the U.S., parts of the U.S. I'd never thought played 40K, uh, celebrities, like famous pool players. Not, you not even had Florida joking. people <laughs> email uh, you. Florida people, definitely had Ooh, some Florida people email some me. Floridans, <laughs> Floridians. <laughs> no tournament winners, because those don't exist. I, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. 40k Florida people. But anyways, moving on to two shoutouts I want to make before the biggest announcement. Um, uh, so the first shoutout is the Glass City GT happened this weekend. It was a major with over 80 players. Jason Sinigowski, I know I mispronounced that name. The TO of the event did a great job. He does it every year running the Glass City GT. It's up in New York. It's got a lot of the top players that show up. That that East Coast meta or where Mike Brandt and uh, Nick Notavati, Sean Naden. Uh, I don't think Nick Notavati attended the Glass City because he was busy, you know, um, with another event, which we'll talk he about later. Uh, but yeah. generally, a lot of those top players on the East Coast go to this event. Um, and so it kind of becomes a really, really prestigious event. And it's right before the Las Vegas Open. So it's our kind of snapshot window into some of the favorites who are going to win the LVO and what they're going to run in place. It's a very, very, very important event to t- pay attention to. Unfortunately, we don't have the list for the event. So we will have that next week. We'll have all the lists for that event. We'll talk about it. It'll be great. It'll be a lot of fun. But the two undefeated players, congratulations to you both. Uh, Mr. Sean Naden, who, of course, needs no introduction beyond that, running Oathway which is kind of interesting. Uh, and the, the winner of the event, Daniel Sansoni, or Sansone, however you pronounce your last name, uh, member of Team Happy, uh, uh, I don't, maybe protege from the Facebook book, kind of sounded like a protege of Aaron Along, um, who, of course, a player who has also won multiple large events. Congratulations, Daniel. Um, from what I read, it looked like this was the first major you won, though I might be incorrect. Um, either way, congratulations. It's a very big accomplishment. You definitely came ahead of a lot of really tough competition. Um, and then the second shout-out is, the if you haven't checked it out, the finest in the finest hour 
podcast episode number seven was uploaded onto Frontline Gaming. Mr. Sean will tell you a little bit more about that, but it's an episode about target saturation and what is a threat and what's a target and what basically what you have to evaluate it, Sean. Yeah, uh, our, our topic this week, because the big thing we try to do within the finest hours, we try to pick one topic and really laser focus in on it and talk about it for an hour, hence the name of the podcast. Uh, and this week we picked target saturation and the difference between giving yourself someone something to shoot at, that single rhino in your list, versus overwhelming them with things so that they can't kill them all. And it, I think it's a subject that is uh, not always well understood, but we tried to give folks a window into it and talk about it with uh, in, a, in a lot of detail. Yeah, it, and that's actually that's actually really what I really love about the In the Finest Hour. Uh, it's a lot faster and definitely more focused than a lot of the other podcasts, 40K podcasts that we listen to. Um, you know, chapter tactics, we talk about tournament stats and we talk about tournament coverage and strategy and other stuff. However, uh, there's such a broad range of topics that I like to cover um, because of 40K tournament coverage and for competitive 40K in general is such a broad topic. Um, so I do tend to go off the rails and talk about other things, whereas Sean, uh, Shaylin, and Josh all get into the it and they just they start talking and that is it. So it's really, really made for players who who want to focus on these one things. And I haven't seen an episode yet that doesn't that that doesn't pertain to everyone. And so to speak, that if you were if you were someone whether you're new or you're a really good seasoned 40k player, uh, that's or if you're a specific if you're like a Necron only player, um, the topics I've seen have pretty much been spot on for the, a variety of competitive players. So I would go to frontlinegaming.org and check that out in the finest hour. It should be good. Yeah. We we also are available through Podbean in, in the finest hour.podbean.com and we have a Facebook group as well. Right on. And then finally, the big big event that happened this weekend. Uh, I was so happy to see the Best in Faction podcast guys, and, and not just them, but everyone put this show together. That was the Charity Hammer event. Uh, I don't know much about it. I didn't run it. I wasn't a part of it. Uh, however, I was a uh, spectator. Spectator. I did watch a couple games, um, and you guys were getting thousands of views for a charity event. Um, so, Sean, take it away. I'll, well, it was certainly exciting, um, exhausting even, 48 full hours of 40k with some people playing as much as 36 hours of that. Uh, There's a couple of real champions there because we had some last minute drops, but we pulled it out. We had streams nonstop the whole weekend. Uh, and it was an absolute blast to have that many really talented players in one place, not just playing games, but also talking, teaching people, and just having a really good time and raising a whole bunch of money for charity. Uh, we managed to break the $6,000 mark by the end of the weekend, in no small part thanks to Mitch Pelham himself putting on a just gorgeous sequined blue jacket that was about 10 sizes too small for him and a fedora to go with it. Um, but $6,000 for kids in hospitals through the Child's Play charity is just as much of an accomplishment as getting in there and playing the games themselves. And I think everyone had a really good time doing it. Yeah, absolutely. And you got, you got to see some really good 
class acts playing the game. Uh, Colin and Mitch are already always, of course, always great to watch. Um, but you also got Nick Nadavadi in. Uh, I, I believe Jeff made an appearance. I know his list was on the guest list. I didn't see him, but also wasn't watching it forever. Uh, Jeff didn't make it, but uh, they had like some really high quality players there. Uh, and and the, as Sean said, and as you said, like some of those games, um, I learned a lot just watching some of these guys play. Like Jim Vessel, who, in case anyone doesn't know, oh, is yeah. um, possibly going to be running for prime minister of Canada in a couple of years. Um, and he will have my vote. Really? Uh, no, but uh, but I, but <laughs> okay, I would I, was I would say. vote for him. Uh, he is a Canadian hero. Uh, just watching that man mm-hmm. play is a pleasure in and of itself because that he is so tight with his rules. Uh, John Lennon, who is a- apparently from Florida, although yeah. I, I, he might be an expat from somewhere else, um, he he <laughs> put together some pretty nasty stuff with Gene Steeler cults and with Death Watch. Um, uh, he taught, yeah. I think he taught the world what uh, a vulture could do, uh, which people, if you didn't mm-hmm. know a vulture was good, you really needed to take a step back and, and reevaluate, um, 45 shots hitting on three so yeah, the time. It's, it's, it's no, no joke. joke. Uh, no, there was just so much. Uh, I probably watched about six hours of it. Um, and that's just cause I have kids and they were getting really annoying about me paying attention to them instead of, uh, Warhammer games. But, oh. uh, I know, right. I, Such I, I is wish. Life. I wish my daughter was like, oh, piss, stop paying attention to me, Dad. Go, go sit in the corner and paint models. <laughs> well, yeah, so uh, life is good. Life is good. And uh, 5,400 people I think you guys topped out at, uh, which is absurd. Those are absurd numbers. So just congrats to the Best in Faction guys. They did such an awesome job. And to all the guys that were on the show, it was really funny. There were a couple matches where people were like, these guys need to talk more. They're not really explaining anything. And I just, I was like, what do you mean? Like, this is probably more explanation than you'll ever get out of some, like, introverted neckbeard trying to play Warhammer. So good good on you guys. (laughs) Yeah, it's, speaking as someone who is on stream, it's hard to play a good game of 40k and also be talking continuously about it. I really respect Nick's ability to do that. He is a champion in that respect. Um... I did my best. I tried to talk through my games, but, you know, when you have five different things you're trying to juggle and then also put on a show for 5,000 people, it's hard. Oh, yeah. It's really hard. You did, you did max out the, um, the sound effect points. I'll give you that, Sean. You definitely did. I, I'm, I'm glad people appreciated my Tau sound effects. That's my favorite part. Particularly your, your Tau impression every time you ran away from somebody. Really enjoyed that. (laughs) Advanced backwards. Uh, anyways, Sean, if someone will, will listen, if someone were to want to watch these videos, even though the Charity Hammer ended, uh, where would they go? Um, currently, they are not available. They are going to be put up on YouTube very soon. Um, I'm sure that Colin and Best in Faction will post that to their Facebook group. I will probably post it to In the Finest Hour as well, and I suspect it will be shared around a number of the other groups, such as the Competitive 40K, maybe even on the Frontline site and whatnot, if someone makes a post for it. Uh, but as of this moment, you are about 12 hours too late and probably about 15 hours too early to be able to see right it. Right on. That's perfectly okay. So- oh, 
And um, for those who were wondering, they will be available for free on YouTube. Um, there is not going to be any sort of pace wall system there. Uh, however, we do ask that if you enjoy them, if you maybe want to throw 5 or $10 our way, we would love that. All of it goes straight to the kids so that they can feel better well in the hospital. Um, all of us who showed up at the stream didn't accepted nothing in return. We, we wanted 100% of the money to go straight to charity. Right on. Yeah, and and that's that's really what I what I love about this. So you know, this year, and and I would account this charity hammer as a part of 2018 because um, it was technically one you know 365 days, you know less than 365 days until since Alex and Tony and you know GW and, and everyone's you know donated all of that money to the children's hospital. Now you have at the tail end of that 365 day you know span, you have this charity hammer event um, when you guys have raised over five thousand dollars for kids which which is huge that that is that's absolutely crazy um and, and if someone had told me like five years ago that i would be a part of or, or i would be i would watch people you know get ten twenty thousand dollars donated to children's hospitals and, and these these charities i'd be like you're crazy 40k is not that big but it is it's growing it's legitimizing our event and our, our game which i think is very very important um, and in the future, I think we will definitely have more people like Nick Nadavati who, who are really good at streaming and entertaining. Um, and then that can lead to a ton of different things. It's just, all of this is good. I'm just so excited and, and happy to see an event like this. And if you want to go check out the best in faction podcast for more information, I highly recommend that go to best in faction podcast, listen, listen to them. I'm sure they'll give you information, links and all that stuff. Uh, and then of course, shoot them a donation while you're at it as well. All right. Sean and Peter, are you ready? Are you ready to go through all of these stats? I see a bunch no. of numbers. No. My body is prepared. <laughs> oh, but apparently Peter's isn't. My body hasn't been ready for the two weeks I've spent putting this stuff together. Um, so what are you going to go over first here, PD Pub? Do you want to so, cover unit representation? Do you want to just look at overall performance? The nitty-gritty stuff on your top five lists of the year? What are we looking at? So... Let's go. So that's. I was gonna say. Why don't we tell the people what we have for them? Um, so we have the uh, the win percentages for all the factions: um, Imperial, Chaos, Eldar, Filthy, Xenos, um, Imperial. Or let's see. The, so for all the super factions, um, we also have the T whips for the super factions as well. Uh, and then those are broken down individually into the smaller factions as well. I believe. Uh, so it's it's we've got all the faction win percentages and the T whips for all the factions. Then we've also got the top five performing lists, and the we also have the uh, unit representation for all of the events, all the top four armies in the events. So if you ever wanted to know what units were most commonly featured in the top four, um, this would be the episode to hear. Did I miss anything, Peter? No, I just want to clarify. I I really tried to focus on um essentially post summer FAQ. So post like the the June FAQ forward uh with cuz right right around that time we had the Imperial Knights release and the Drukari release and that completely changed the game. Mm -hmm. More than anything else um uh that has happened in the last year, Imperial Knights and Drukari made this game a completely different thing and um so that's where I tried to spend my focus because the, the first half of the year, we only really had half the codexes, if that. Um, there was a lot of index play going on. Um, and like the game has changed so dramatically starting in that June, July area that that that's, was really my focus. 
All right. So let's go into the the year in the view, the primary win percentage. Uh, you have this broken down by faction. Um, so for the Imperium, for the Imperials, what faction performed best um, the most, period? Which this is primary faction. So this is this isn't a whole army. Um, this is primary detachment only. So ITC rules. Yeah. So um, in general, the army that has performed consistently the best uh, in the last half of the year um, is going to be your Imperial Knights. Um, so we have numbers here. I, ra I ran them by month. Um, you can see that other than the month of December, which we really only had two or three tournaments to, to, to input, um, they've consistently held above uh, the 50 percentile mark, um, which only Astro Militarum has, has been able to do as well. Um, and one thing that I will note about Imperial Knights um, and Astro Militarum is that Astro Militarum without a Castellan, and we'll go a little more into that detail later, ha actually is a sub-50% faction month by month. <laughs> um, but as soon as they take that Knight Castellan, they skyrocket. Um, on average, they have a 70% win rate with a Knight Castellan in their army, and they're only about 45 yeah. to 46. I believe it's 47 now um, without one. So, Jeez, that is crazy. Wow. Yeah, that's a slight change. Yeah, like they the 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 one model has a gross seven percent impact on Astro Militarum play. <laughs> and so, before before we go in, you have these broken down: July, August, September, October, November, December. But you also have pre FAQ, post FAQ, and post orcs. Yes. Um, so so what were your what was your reasons for for adding post orcs in there? Uh, and then pre FAQ is just everything pre-FAQ, and the post-FAQ is just everything post-FAQ? Yes. So um, I'll, I'll break it down. So pre-FAQ is everything pre the September. Was it, it was September, right, that we had the last, well, it was supposed to be September, the last big FAQ? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So pre-FAQ is everything pre that, uh, post-FAQ, everything after that. And then I tagged on post-orcs because... Um, in my talks with people in different chats and and watching uh, like just like the the top level players talk about this game, there was a big concern and a big focus on how orcs were going to shake up the game, and so I wanted to take a look at that. Um, I've managed to record about twelve hundred games uh, post orcs, so I was able to. Uh, so while this may not be completely settled as to how the meta, meta is shaping up, um, it does give you an idea of what changes have happened since. Um, in terms of pre-fact versus post-fact, there are almost exactly the same amount of games uh, that have been played now. So you can really see just how that how big that um, that uh, FAQ impacted the meta. Um, we talked about it once a couple months ago, but now that we've had you know another two three thousand games added to the 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 discourse, you you can really see where the changes have come. Um, guard dropped about a four percentile in. Uh, in uh, win percentage pre to post FAQ, uh, Imperial Knights went down a few percentage points. Space Wolves dropped like 9%, not that they needed a drop. Uh, hilariously enough, Space Wolves have actually performed worse post uh, Codex versus pre Codex. That's rare. Yeah, but th and I, I don't think that's because the Codex is bad. I think it's just like power armor is hard. And yeah. Mm. Okay. And the Codex, even though it helped them, the meta shifts as a whole, I think, have not been particularly kind exactly. to them. Exactly, yeah. Um, 
in terms of other factions, the pre to post uh, Chaos Demons went up. Chaos Space Marines dropped uh, dramatically, and they're still dropping post orcs. They're they're boasting a thirty six percent win percentage. Uh, that hit to Alpha Legion really hurt the uh, Chaos Space Marine meta. You almost never see. Uh, or you rarely see Alpha Legion lists anymore. It's now almost exclusively Black Legion with people testing out Emperor's uh, children and uh, Iron uh, Warriors occasionally. Um, Death Guard have ha- actually saw a bit of a boost, although the post-orc meta, they're, they're, they're coming back down. Uh, Necrons have had a bit on a kind of a steady decline. It's, yeah. I was going to say to the point of uh, Death Guard, I think part of the reason, and it's something that we I had some discussion with about some of the Dark Death Guard and Nurgle players this weekend, there is nothing more delicious to wrap up with your assault units than a Plague Burst Crawler, because they're big and there's no way for them to escape from combat, and there's almost always something nearby that you can charge to wrap them around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in terms of, like, um, the Nifirs, uh Eldar, regular Eldar, the Asuriani, they've seen a, a, a really big boost, uh, both uh, post-FAQ and post-Orcs, uh, whereas Inari um, uh, have seen a bit of a drop. Um, part of that, and this is mostly hypothesis based on the lists I'm seeing, for Inari, um, they've seen about a 2 to 3% increase in play. Um, so the I would say that the quality of player has started to even out for Inari. They used to be about 2 to 3% of the meta, and now they're bumping up to 5 and 6% at, uh, percent at times. So um, with more players, when you're already above 60%, uh, a 3 and 2 record, which a lot of people would say is perfectly fine is actually dropping your score uh and uh with the suriani i think that's a lot of you're seeing a lot of shift a lot of people that had been testing out anari um as like a primary are now shifting back to uh, a suriani and playing them as a primary um there's definitely something to be said for actual craft worlds armies, even with the changes from chapter approved. Um, and it's actually very possible to include Yanari in an army and not have them be your primary. Yeah. I've done that with a couple armies. That's myself. very true. I do have the stats on that as well. We can talk about it later. Not not performing as yeah. well, but it's not to say that it can't. I think that that's just uh, getting the right players mm-hmm. to start to start moseying in that direction more than anything. So. Yeah. So let's um. So looking through these numbers, I kind of wanted to highlight something for each uh, super faction, and that's um, the faction that performed the absolute best in any given month out of all the months. So we're gonna start with Eldar first, so you can kind of get an idea of what what I mean. Uh, Inari in August had a sixty nine point eight percent win percentage, so that that is by far the highest performing faction in any given month. Period. First off. Um, Grey Knights had 65% in September, and I imagine that was just like one Grey Knight player who did really well once. Yeah, uh, uh, essentially in September there were only maybe three people that tried out Grey Knights, uh, and uh, one of them went four and one. There was another that went, say, four and two at a tournament, so that really bumped their numbers. Yeah, and that means that... It's hilarious because of their other tournaments, none of them go above 30 like 31 percent yeah they're all they're all yeah, hovering 30%. and there's even a 17 in there yeah, yeah. <laughs> the month of august was very poor for gray knights uh i think that is the worst uh performance of any faction that i covered here 
Yeah, but oh, but sorry, that, no, Space Wolves. No, Space Wolves had a sixteen percent in December, which which so. is awful. That Ooh. is really, and that's December too. That's that's where they stand, like basically right now. Um, <clears throat> uh, well, I guess chapter approved kind of changes some things for them, but uh, that that's the most recent score for them. Yeah, that's that's insane. Um, but but set an almost seventy percent win percentage in August, uh, and then. In July, they had a 67 win percentage as a primary faction, and, and since then, they've done really well. They have dropped significantly, so pre-FAQ, they were at 66%, and post-FAQ, they're at 61% primary win faction. Uh, but I also have noticed that the number of people using Inari primary has also dropped from then, since then, uh, pre-FAQ, post-FAQ, and that's just from previous episodes when we covered these stats. Um, so there are less Inari players. I imagine a lot of the top Inari players switched over the other factions just to kind of like, maybe they maybe they saw the writing on the wall. Maybe they they thought that GW would nerf their army. Um, maybe it was also that that FAQ nerf when Inari were nerfed because I I believe they were nerfed in the September FAQ, Sean. Uh, a little bit. I think actually the more relevant part of that, um, and this is from having spoken to, you know, Colin, who is a very, very good Yanari player, uh, Nick a little bit, and, and so forth. At a certain point, it is not hard to get bored with the army um, and just want to switch over to something different. Um, if you've won three majors with the same Yanari list... Maybe you just want to try something else for a little while. And I, I will say, like, uh, Inari uh, play has actually gone up. Uh, so a little misconstrued there. Uh, they were 3.5% per, 3. of the meta, 3.6 pre-FAQ, 4.78 post. So, like, they've definitely, like, um, more people are playing them. But I think we're starting to see a change, in, like I mentioned earlier, in the quality of player. Because, yes, people are getting mm -hmm. bored of them. They're switching mm -hmm. to... And there's a thing uh, that... There's something to be said for not wanting to play the army that wins everything. Yeah, that's absolutely a part of the, the kind of lack of interest. Is like, you, you want to try something out. You want to keep improving your skills. Or you just want to do something different. Yeah, because yeah. Inari are great for teaching you how to play the game. I keep hearing that from a lot of top players. And I think it's it's very true. Um I would I would amend that to if you are already a good player, Yanari can make you a Perfect. great player. Yeah. If you are an average player trying to get good with Yanari, you are going to struggle a lot because they are not forgiving at all. Yeah, but well, I think there's a there's two sides to that. They're not forgiving if you don't know what you're doing. Um, if you know what you're doing, they're yes. incredibly forgiving. Um, I just think to that like hilarious uh, to me hilarious scene from Renegade Open when Colin's playing. Um, uh, Steve mm -hmm. and he forgets to move the Dark Reapers and in any other faction yeah. really you're like oh well I guess my whole plan <laughs> screwed lose. up uh, but then he's like oh well I can just quicken yeah. him with that guy and uh, it's like oh yeah you can definitely just do that and fix all your problems and you see that a lot with mm -hmm. like really good Inari players where they'll be like oh I misplayed that well if I just do this I can soul burst off that Biovore over there and then I can do this this and this Yeah. but it's being able to see that pattern that a lot of people like uh, won't be able to sit back and see so yeah. so I 100% agree yes. with you uh, and anyway yeah, and um Sorry. Oh, I, I think we already knew this, but but looking at these numbers, so so Harlequins had had a lot of good good day months too. They had some bad months, um, but pre and post FAQ, they had signature months where they formed almost sixty percent with a fifty eight point five nine percent in August win percentage, and then a sixty five percent win percentage in December, which is is crazy. 
for Harlequins. I know there's not a lot of Harlequins players, but there there's more Harlequins players than some than like Gene Sealer Colt players, which are almost none of. Um, and Harlequin, there's <laughs> you know there's a lot of really good Harlequin players, and a lot of players will like switch to Harlequins briefly for like one or two tournaments. Josh Death is a perfect example. Um, and then they'll do really well, and then they'll move on to other factions. Um, Harlequins are one of those armies that I see a lot of top players running at least once and doing really well with, but not sticking to it for a whole season, which is kind of strange. Uh, Dark Eldar have the big, the most powerful two-game stretch, or the most dominant two-game stretch out of all the Eldar super factions, um, with a 62% and a 61% win percentage in September and October. Um, and Eldar are the worst performing out of the four Eldar Eldari factions, um, but they still have a post orcs fifty six point four five percent win percentage. Yeah, and um, that's because I don't have January included in here, and uh, Eldar performed very well at the Glass City GT. I believe so it. that that bumps up their number mm-hmm. uh, from uh, from that fifty percent you see in December. But they have been on a, a pretty like they've been do- doing much better post FAQ. Um, yeah. If you're if, speaking of Gene Sealer cults, look at that December per- win percentage. Yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get, so, so I think it's safe to say that Eldar, the Eldar super faction, has been the most dominant this year, for sure. So, uh, uh, and I, I hope no one would want to argue that. Yeah, um, no, it's the so so. Let's let's talk. Let's talk about arguably the least dominant faction, and, and this is really sad, but because because the Imperiums have Grey Knights in them and Space Wolves, but I think as a whole, the Xenos armies haven't been perform- performing very well. Um. Because Imperium, uh, well, we'd have to we'd have to yeah. pull all these numbers together. This is pure speculation. I'm not going to do that right now. Um, but the point is, is that the Xenos factions have have been underperforming um, consistently at least one month, right? With the exception of Tau, they've all had uh, an under forty percent win percentage in one month. But Tau were close in September. They hit a forty one point four win percentage, so they almost hit that under forty percent win percentage. Um, and you know, just the Xenos armies have just been hit or miss, um, with some really good killer months. Uh, so let's go ahead and talk about the Xenos armies a little bit more. And this is the non-Eldar Xenos armies. So Necrons, Orcs, Tau, Tyranids, Gene Stealer Colts. Sure. So first off, I'm sorry, Necron players, your army's pretty garbage right now. Oh. Um, and I wish I could say that there was yeah. something good. Some, I wish I could say something good about it, but uh, yeah. They've topped out at a 43%, and that was uh, in the Tesseract Vault days, um, where anybody that ran that list was just, like, universally hated. Um, yeah. That, I, <laughs> I imagine a bunch of... Because August and September was when we had the ETC going on, and then... Um, or was ETC actually July? I don't remember. But but that was right after the ETC. Uh, that was post-ETC. So, like, like Peter said... That was your best stretch with the Tesseract Vaults. So it was August and September. You had 43% win percentage, which for Necrons is like cream of the crop. It's the best. Um, and uh, you have not... Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off, Peter. I just No, that's to... fine. So yeah, Necrons not performing super well. Uh, Gene Stealer Cults have been all over the place, but that's just because they have such like a, a, a low percentage of, uh, of actual players. Um they they went down to 35% in November, um, and I I put that on the back of Nick Rose doing well at SoCal Open. Um, all of a sudden, everyone was like, "Well, oh, my Gene Stealer Cults, let's bring them back out. And then they got <laughs> trashed, they got thrashed, and they're like, okay, we're putting them away until I see the codex. So in December, 
Um, we run, <laughs> I only have data for say three or four months in December, uh, three or four tournaments in December. So don't look too hard at December data. Um, because, um, I would have more, but Element Games G, uh, uh, Major wouldn't send me the, their, uh, their results, unfortunately. But anyway, they have a 90% win rate. And that's, com- I would say, completely <laughs> on the back of Nick Rose um, and I believe John Camacho. They both won tournaments uh, like GTs in, in, uh, in uh, December with Gene Stiller Cults. So all of a sudden, when you're only like two of your three players essentially go undefeated, um, you're going to have a very good win rate that month. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah. Although, to be fair, they did also receive a huge boost from the Tooth and Nail, or Tooth and Claw, for I sure. it was, uh, with the Aberrants and Abominants getting just vastly And they're better. monsters. They're absolute monsters. They are, especially when you stack all the bonuses from the most recent Vigilist stuff. Yes, that anointed throng is disgusting. Yeah. But, yep. So, uh, don't think it's 90%, but... Oh, it's no longer 45%. Yeah, I think... Well, Sorry. I was going to say, the truth lies actually somewhere in the middle there, because post-FAQ, they still have a 49% win percentage, so an under 50% win percentage, and then post-Orcs, they have a 45% win percentage, despite that really strong showing in December. Uh, yeah. So so they're still, they're still a slightly below average performing army. Um, but two players are doing really well. Two, a few players. I, I don't want to say just two players. But yeah, a few players are doing really, really well with them. Like extremely. There's a well. lot of really good players. I mean, Jeff Robinson's dropped yep. custodies for them, and he's been winning all sorts of RTTs. Mm-hmm. Um, John Lennon, of course, we talked about it earlier. A charity hammer yes. um, is running a pretty disgusting list. Um, it's there's brutal. a there's a lot of good Gene Stealer cults already, and they're still on an index, boys. In what two weeks we're going to see a codex. And I can't imagine it's going to get worse. Um, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the codex will be a, a fucking, gar- yeah. pardon my language, a, a fucking garbage fire. I like how I swore again anyway. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be like, I, I imagine by the excitement from Jeff uh, that that codex is going to be the best shit show you can possibly imagine. And Gene Stiller cults are going to just start rampaging, um, which curdles my insides because one of our best players here in my little northern town is a Gene Stiller Cults player and he's been chomping at the bit. So Okay, well, well let, let's go from a, a, an army with a less than 2% um, representation in the player base to an <laughs> army that is almost or almost four times that or definitely three times that to a 7% win percentage or 7% representation of the orcs. So mm-hmm. uh, the first thing without looking at because we also have the list, per, list representation um Without looking at the stats and how it performed, orcs went from having one percent or less than one percent in July and August representation, all the way up to seven percent representation in or post orcs, post orcs codex, which is which is hilarious, um, which is higher than space marines right now. Oh no, yeah, it is. It's by point two higher than space marines, and space marines have have had have a high you know representation in the, in lists. Um, so orcs are now slightly more popular post orcs than space marines, um, w- which is actually really really important. Um, they've also performed okay. They're they're not performing um, the way you know pundits kind of predicted them to be. A lot of people were really hyped on the orc codex, uh, and it is a very good codex. I'm not saying that orcs are bad. Don't don't think I'm saying that. I still think an orc player can easily make the top eight because there's a lot of really good orc players. However. They've still kind of underperformed in the grand scheme of things. So post orcs, they're at forty-eight percent win percentage. It's all still below fifty. 
below average, uh, and post FAQ they're at forty five percent. Um, which is if you take out Rich okay, Kilton's but, performance yeah. in, at, at the SoCal Open is probably lower than forty five percent by a couple percent. Well, but let's keep this in context here. As Peter said earlier, the more people you have in your faction playing them, the closer you're going to hew to that average percentage. And there are some really, really good orc players out there, but there's also some orc players who just want to bring 150 wacky-ass converted models and have a goofy time yeah. with it. I was I was talking to a couple people over the weekend about this, and uh, and what the what I said um, is like your stereotypical orc player. All they want to do is drink a bunch of grain alcohol until they're almost blind, play five games over two days, and scream wog the entire time. Right. <laughs> so so mm-hmm. you've got that player who's probably going to go like one and four, one and five, not giving any shits about that fact because they got what they wanted out of the deal. Um, and then you're going to have your Steve Pamprines, um, your uh, Rich Kiltons, uh, your Ben Jurics, guys who've been playing this faction for forever, who know it inside and out. And they're the ones that are going to win. And now we're moving into a period, um, I think, where you're going to see all the people that have finally got the time to either borrow hammer the hundred and some odd Evil Sons uh, boys that they need. Um, or like Nick Natavati have bought and are now painting them um, because it's such a good codex. So I think that that percentage is going to start to increase just on that alone. All the players that that are going to move to uh, a top tier faction uh, that's really fun to play. Yeah, yeah, it, and mm-hmm. it, it is it is funny because pre FAQ they were at twenty nine percent, and um, pre FAQ I w- I was saying this you know basically all the orc players that are left with the index orcs are just the orcs players who are showing up and drinking and having a good time. Like as Peter said, that was it. That was all we had playing orcs. Um, now we've got a lot more players playing orcs and jumping onto the faction. Um, I don't know if, I don't know if they're going to hit the above 55%. Like, I don't know if they're going to hit battle company stat numbers, like LVO 2016 or 2017 battle company stat numbers when space Marines were, were like at 55% win percentage and then almost 30% of the meta. Um, which is actually really crazy. That now that I think about it, that's really really dominant. Um, I don't know if they're going to hit those numbers. They're, no, and I don't think they will either. Well, um, no. I think they're going to be better than Tyranids because I think they fall into the same problem with Tyr- as Tyranids, but they have a slightly better book. I think like you see it with Tyranids all the time. They'll have one or two players in the top eight of a lot of like regularly of GTs and majors. Um, but when you look at the bottom eight, there's like five. So. And yeah. it's it's that's what keeps Tyranids from you know hitting that fifty percent. It's a great codex, um, but for every like really awesome turnout, like a Cooper Waddell style SoCal performance, you've got uh, you know four guys that brought uh, you know Jormungandr or Behemoth that you know they're still <laughs> decent, but they're not going to win. And uh, you know they just wanted to bring their all of their Carnifexes. So I've got thirteen Carnifexes. Let's yeah. see what the <laughs> fuck happens, boys. And so, so- uh, so let's yeah. talk about the the Tyranid the Tyranid performance because I want to talk about Tau last. Um, so oh my goodness, yeah, that was the that was my phone. That was my phone that I am now turning off. Um, so so, unprofessional. <laughs> so let's talk about that Tau performance real quick, um, or the Tyranid, Tyranid? performance real quick. Yeah. So it's funny that you mentioned Cooper Waddell's performance in October um, when he went undefeated at the SoCal Open because despite that, they had their almost lowest. W- you know, percentage month with with that forty three percent win ratio in October, 
um, mm-hmm. which is which was their lowest since July. Uh, so the Tyranids haven't been doing that well at all, um, but they've been spiking. It's it's kind of weird. So they had like forty five percent win percentage in August, but in September they had a fifty five percent win percentage. Fifty seven, yep. Or yeah, and then in October they went from a forty three percent to a fifty percent, and then from a fifty percent to a fifty two percent in December. So they're they're a bit of an upswing right now, but I, I kind of feel like that's just always the way Tyranids have been because. You know, for every for every month where we're like, oh, Tyranids are really good, we have a month where we're like, where did Tyranids go? What did they do? I, what do you guys think is causing that kind of weird back and forth? We're an average army, but we have are we underperform and overperform like all the time. Tyranids are a very swingy army, depending on what kind of build you bring. There are some builds for the army which are incredibly powerful and can do some wholly unexpected things, uh, shooting gene steel cannons across the table, etc. Um, at the same time, they can also have some really underperforming builds. If you just bring nothing but exocrines and harispetses and stuff like that, then you are not going to do well. So I think a lot of it is the players who attend tournaments in any given month. Um, and most tiered players have another army. Um, they're not like orcs or space marines so much where they're kind of like, you'll have these people who are absolutely dedicated to them since forever. Um, most of those people have essentially died waiting through all of 5th, 6th, and 7th edition. Um, so the Tyranids tend to be a second army for a lot of people. It's just whether they, whether the good players happen to bring them or not would be my guess. Yeah, I'd pin a lot of it on that. And another thing is, like, the the top uh, nid list that you see is generally going to be uh, Kraken for days, uh, you know, Swarm Lord, 60 Gene Stealers-ish, uh, 20 or 30 Hormigaunts. It's, um, in that list, it is devastating. Uh, you're six Hive Guard, of course. Um, but it it takes a really skilled pilot, and, and even then, you make one mistake mm-hmm. or your opponent gives you one bad decision, and you've lost a match, like, turn one. And it's just like yeah. you're playing another two hours of, well, I've already lost. So, um, that's I think that's, and that's what I see, at least in the numbers. Uh, you see, like, everybody, I shouldn't say everybody, the, the vast majority are playing Kraken. They're playing a very similar list, um, but, you know, one mistake, and they they're no longer in contention. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so finally the Tau, let's talk about the Tau a little bit. Uh, there's, there's so Tau players. I, I've been, I've been talking about Tau being good for, for a while now, kind of just kind of not being good, but being kind of being a bit underrated. Um, they've been performing pretty poorly, but I've mm. always felt like Tau are actually really solid and actually have the chance to do well, but they never do well. It's, it's kind of like the story that Tau have had forever. Um, now, on the other hand, so we, we've got uh, 49% starting in July, win percentage in July, uh, and then dipping to to 48 to 41%, and then hovering around 50% in October or November. So below average for, for a while now. And I imagine that's kind of how Tau have been performing for most of the year, ever since their codex dropped, which I imagine before the codex, Sean, were they pretty bad before their codex? Um, they were very good for a while until Commander Spam kind of got nerfed, and then they became very bad, and then the Codex came out and they become very yeah, good again. Yeah, so, so and, and Commander Spam got nerfed, like, right at the beginning of the year. Not right at the beginning, but... A- anyways. 
It was quite a while yeah. back. Yeah. So now in December, I, I was kind of shocked because <laughs> Tiernid play. I mean, Tau players. There's there's been a steady amount of Tau players playing in, in you know it, there was a little less in December. There was a three point four one percentage chance compared to a seven point six in November. So a lot of Tau players, pretty much half of the Tau players, took December off. But they jumped to a 59% win percentage in December. And I know we're not supposed to look at December. Mm-hmm. I, I know we're not because because a lot lot less players showed up in December. Then you had uh, Mr. Mr. Uh, Daniel Sansone with his Tau list doing well. Uh, and then there was also some good Tau lists at the Iron Halo in October doing pretty well. Are Tau kind of like secretly on the upswing? Are they the army that, that's kind of on the upswing that, that that's kind of going under the radar? Or is this kind of just a flash in the pan and Tower going to go back to, you know, sub-50% irrelevancy? Um, for my own part, speaking as a, a Tau player, I would say that Tau are very consistently underrated. Uh, I would call them a dark horse candidate for a lot of tournaments. Um, part of that is the nature of tournaments themselves. Um, a lot of tournaments struggle to get enough terrain on their tables. And any time you don't have a lot of blocking terrain on a table, Tau are very powerful. If they can shoot anything they want to all game long, they will win games. The problem is when they don't get to shoot at the opponent, and that's certainly a thing that happens at some tournaments with certain terrain setups. That That's actually something I didn't consider, because Tau, Tau are really terrain-dependent. Um, you know, yes. just by being a shooting um, army. It, it, it's huge. And and especially because unlike Imperial Guard, they can't bring allies to solve things through melee. Unlike also Imperial Guard, they don't have a lot of strong indirect fire. They have the smart missile system, but not a lot else. Um, so they really live and die by the terrain on a table. Uh, and if there is a terrain piece, just a lot of terrain in the table, or even just a couple really big blocking line of sight pieces in the wrong place, their dam can down, go downhill very quickly. All right. So, so you're saying there's a chance? <laughs> I, honestly, I am saying there's a chance. Um, I said it on our the last episode I was on when we were kind of predicting the LVO. I think it's not impossible you'll see Tau get a very strong uh, performance at LVO or one of the other big tournaments in the next few months here. I mean, obviously, we saw Glass City GT. They just did. Um, but you, you've got to be ready for that. Uh, be ready to see about 900 Strength 5 shots coming at you when you make a charge. Yeah. No, I think Tau are in a really good place. I would argue they probably came out best of the factions in uh, Chapter Proot, if not the top, like, three. Uh, but mm-hmm. they, they're definitely up there. Um, and really, when you look at, like, the faction versus faction, if they don't go up against uh, a primary ad mech list, because apparently they have that uh, that uh, army has their number, or, say, an Ari or Eldar, they're in good shape. Like, uh, against a lot of other factions, they're either exactly at that 50% or they're just they're dominating them there's a they have a lot of really good matchups um and a, only a couple poor ones it just so happens that you know Eldar in general are one of them so yeah and and mm-hmm. other th- the the reason why that's important is other than Imperial Knights Tau were the m- most represented faction with an 8% of the field 
Uh, Imperial Knights were 11% of the field, and Imperial Knights have pretty much been the most popular faction, uh, with the exception of Astro Militarum. Um, and, and, and Imperial Knights and Astro Militarum kind of went hand-in-hand hand anyways, so those two factions as we saw have pretty much been the most dominant factions. However, in July, uh, Tau were the second most represented faction in lists. Um, so there are, oh really? yeah, 8.46, wow. right below Imperial Knights at 11.1%. Percent and then right above Astro Militarum with almost seven percent. So, so they they were hmm. well well represented even above Eldar who were at seven point eight five percent. So they're well represented in July and then they of course kind of teetered off because you know you had a lot of good had a lot of uh, poor Tau performances. The FAQ kind of brought a lot of other armies into the spotlight. The Castellan list was doing really well. Blood Angels were were smashing. Um, so Tau kind of fell out of favor a bit. But in uh, November, they had a 7.66% uh, list representation. So it kind of went up. It dropped to in December, of course, because but almost factions dropped in December. There, were, there weren't a lot of Tau players. So, you know, there's a chance that at the LVO, you'll see a lot of Tau. You'll see more Tau than Orc players, more Tau than Space Marine players, possibly even more Tau than Eldar players. Um, so just keep that in mind, guys, when you're going into the Las Vegas Open, there's 800 players, and you might see almost 80, you know, 70 or 80 Tau players, right, which is a lot of, that's a lot of really good Tau players. Um, so it's just something to keep in mind. Next week, uh, I think a lot of people would really like to see, especially a lot of Tau players, uh, would really like to see what Daniel brought to the Glass City GT and did well with. And you can bet mm -hmm. your butt. Uh, Daniel, being a part of Team Happy, he's definitely running a list that he wants to run at the LVO or something similar to, you know. Um. All mm -hmm. right, so let's go ahead and move on to Chaos. Uh, Chaos are, are, for me, the saddest faction to watch in the win percentage category um, because they they were really dominant, um, you know, of course, in, in July, except for Chaos Space Marines. Um, Chaos Space Marines as a primary detachment have just not done well. Um, this just hasn't been their year. Um, but thousands. Do we want to go really through well. that a little bit? And well, go ahead. I was going to say, uh, I think a big part of that is the good things out of Chaos Space Marines are cultists, Abaddon, uh, and a handful of other HQ choices. Those don't actually eat up a big chunk of your list in most cases. Um, even if you bring, you know. 200 uh, cultists that's still not actually that many points you can have literally 200 cultists and a bad and another guy and still have another chaos faction be primary um, well, not anymore but you so be, yeah. i'm sorry not anymore right because cultists are now at five points, oh okay yes, yes that's but there was no a there was a point, point where you are correct change. yes yes um so, and, you know, almost no one actually brings 200 cultists. Like, that's an insane number. Um, more likely you are seeing 120-ish. And 120 cultists, even with the point change, is still a third of your list, barely. Mm -hmm. um, so, you probably, I think you're seeing a lot of people bringing Chaos Space Marines, but not very many people bringing Chaos Space Marines primary with winning lists. Yeah, and you can see that if you look at the overall um, win percentages, you can see uh, in general Chaos Space Marines perform a few percentage points better um, as an o uh, with their overall, and that's because they're getting tag teamed with uh, Renegade Knights or with uh, Demons or Thousand Sons, uh, armies that are, are performing in, in general uh, far better. 
um, most notably Thousand Sons. It's not uncommon to see, you know, 120 uh, cultists with Abaddon tag-teamed uh, to 1,200 points of Thousand Sons. Mm-hmm. So, looking at the Chaos overall win percentage, I- I'm, I'm going to move away from the primary uh, win percentage because, it, it, you know, it's, it's kind of predictable, kind of, a, kind of what I expected. Um, but in terms of the overall win percentage, so this is if a list has chaos, a uh, chaos faction in it, I believe, right, Peter? Correct. Whether it's primary or secondary. All right. So it, as a whole, post FAQ to post orcs, with the exception of renegade, renegade knights, who I don't really count because they have such a small representation anyways, uh, and chaos demons who kind of stayed the same, uh, power armor, chaos base marines or chaos base marines, death guard, thousand suns all went down in win percentage by what I think is actually kind of a significant amount, right? So by at least 4% in win percentage. So 1,000 Suns dropped from a 57% win percentage post-FAQ to a 53% win percentage post-Orcs. Uh, and then Death Guard, and Death Guard dropped from 46.8 to 42.1, so almost a 5% drop. Uh, and then Chaos Space Marines dropped from 7.23 to 0.83, or, or 47.23 to 40.83%. So, so they had a significant drop, and Chaos Space Marines have been falling since pre-FAQ. Um, what do you think kind of caused that? Do you think orcs just started beating up on Chaos Space Marine lists, or do you think it's a combination of? Uh, I don't want to say chapter approved because there hasn't been a lot of tournaments since chapter approved. What do you think kind of caused the the November and December slide of Chaos Space Marines, Death Guard, and Thousand Suns? Um. It's really hard to say. Um, I think there's a lot of factors that are kind of working in combination here. Part of it, I think, would be orcs. Um, orcs are sort of a natural counter to the strategy that Chaos Space Marines are running these days. Uh, they have a lot of bodies to accept smites. They have a few good psychic powers of their own that they cast at a big bonus. And they have a n- inherent melee dominance over the cultist horde that the you typically are bringing. Um Many armies are really worried about getting those 30 Zangors or whatever thrown into their lines. Orcs are not. They're perfectly happy to accept that. Um, the other half of that is Imperial Guard and the Castellan list in general kind of being on the rise. Um, Vengeance for Cavia is such a good strategy. Yeah. It is so incredibly powerful. And a guard list utilizing that with like a big blob of guys can just dominate chaos. So to, to tally onto that. So I'm looking at the faction versus faction, which I didn't send you guys. I'm sorry. I, I did the faction versus faction post orcs. Mm. I've got them all here. And, uh, and yeah, what Sean says is essentially correct. Uh, chaos space Marines uh, since, and it's not just the, like that orcs are beating them because orcs aren't beating thousand suns. They're beating every, all the other chaos factions. Um, a thousand suns are actually winning, but they're beating. Uh, but it's all these other factions that are starting to trend towards being able to beat orcs, because and I think that's the key, right? So we had this long period now where people have been uh, trying to beat um, knights, right? So everyone is teching for knights because they're in twenty percent of lists. Or by the more. way, you still need to tech against knights, guys. And yeah, don't stop. But sure. now we're we're seeing a, like a switchback to tr- like more tech for hordes because how are you going to deal with orcs and everyone's afraid of orcs and they should be um, and maybe not as afraid as they have been. So when you look uh, like at Chaos Space Marines post orcs, um, they've played Tau seven times, 
they have a 14% win rate. So they've won one of those seven games against Tau. Um, mm-hmm. They've uh, against Astra Militarum. They've lost uh, two thirds of their matches against Astra Militarum. Um, so like they're not doing super well. If you look at uh, Death Guard, it's uh, basically the same. They're 50-50 against Astra Militarum. Um, they are getting wrecked, uh, by, well, they actually, I think with Death Guard, it's more that they seem to have met their match in Thousand Suns. They played them a lot, but, uh, and Thousand hmm. Suns is, is doing very well where Thousand Suns have started to lose. And it's not by much, by the way, cause I mean, they're still, uh, a- above 50%, uh, solidly above Astra Militarum. Yeah. So they've lost two thirds of their matches there and they've lost two thirds of their matches mm-hmm. against Drukari and Admech. Oh, and they're one in five against Tau. Oh. So Tau have been having their way with uh, yeah. with the Thousand Suns. However, they've also Thousand Suns have been dominating pretty much everybody else. Um, and, and like they they have an eighty percent win rate against Imperial Knights post orcs. Oh my gosh, sixty two percent versus that's orcs. No surprise uh, and sixty uh, two against orcs, and they've played a, a significant amount against orcs since the uh, since the orc codex was dropped. So. Yeah. It- I'm I'm actually very surprised by that. What what it's are you surprised that by? They're consistently beating orcs. Uh, specifically, the fact that Thousand Suns are are beating orcs. So, um, that's not what I would have expected, but that's an interesting number. It, to, it to kind of makes sense to me because, uh, and I know orcs and knights, imperial knights are two completely different factions. But as yeah. an imperial knight player, I know the Thousand Suns lists give me a lot of trouble because they put bodies in front of the knights, and then they have these really powerful characters. And these chaos demons or chaos demon princes that just hop over the bodies and just start cleaning up. And from what I've seen, well, and and, and smite, smite, of course, too. yeah, like smite is Tons ruinous. Of smite. Yeah, and they knights. also put a lot of shots in the Zangor, so so I can totally see that doesn't hurt knights so much, but I can see how that could hurt orcs. But I think mm-hmm. I, looking at the way orcs play and and just kind of looking at it, I think orcs have a really hard time dealing with really good characters. Right, so so I was watching Reese play an orc game the other day, and, and this is kind of where it dawned on me because I've seen a couple orc games since before then. But uh, Reese had a uh, a character on a bike. I think it was just a captain on a bike with a power sword or lightning claw, and gave it a two up armor save with the armor Indomitus. And that single character mm-hmm. held up thirty boys for two turns, long enough for the apothecary to like run over there and heal him up real quick before the apothecary died to the horde of boys. And while that happened, Reese's entire army dealt with the rest of the Horde plus the Ludas, and Gaiman basically went into full-on orc killing mode with his buddies of Honor Guard and a couple captains, and just basically were the only people, only survivors of the Space Marines, but the orcs had no answers for them. And I think I think yeah. orcs have a trouble dealing with two-up saves, and I think orcs have a hard time dealing with characters that can get to their Ludas. Um and and I think that tough characters. Oh yeah, tough characters. Like you say two up saves, yeah. demon. Yeah, yeah. Princes, I'm not saying like, like Eldrad's going to go in there and issue. wade into an orc horde and you know go crazy like that. Mm. <laughs> but but yeah, we see your point. And like custodies, uh, if the if you give them cover, oh, God, oh yeah, they're just like yeah. disgusting. Um, and yeah, that, I think that is what what you're hearing from a lot of the the, the better orc players. I mean, uh, Chuck Arnett has said a couple times like he's he's more scared of seeing regular Space Marines sometimes on the board than most other things because you get them in cover and he's like, well, I'm not moving them. It, it's just that they they're not mm-hmm. moving the orcs either. Um, this is the is the problem there. And so yeah, I, I can see what you're saying, Pablo, with the Thousand Suns. The other thing about it is like most Thousand Suns lists now actually 100 uh, percent of them that I've seen, it's Ariman. 
two demon princes of Zinch. They've got a corn demon prince, uh, probably a Nurgle demon prince. That one's 50-50 with the, the two plus armor save. Um, so, so yeah, they've got the character back up and then, uh, they're often running a blood letter bomb, which if you, if they counter deploy it properly is going to tear apart at least one unit of boys, if not more. Um, so yeah, like, the, like they, like they definitely can have answers and apparently so far at least, and I mean, we're still early into the post-orc days, right? Um, they're doing well. What, what is the thousand sons win percentage against Eldar in general? Like, like all the Eldar factions. All of them in general. Um, it's it's. Let me get it for you here. Do you want overall or or since the orcs? Uh, each each faction. So so I guess I guess I'd want since the orcs or overall. Yeah, I'd say post orcs. I mean, it doesn't really matter. I just I want to know how thousands have been competing with orcs because the reason why I I, I want that is because uh, in general the kind of like pundits consensus among the top players and analysts is that orcs beat Eldar. It, it's just like so, it's just like a thing like like oh eldar players hmm. orc and and i do agree on paper orc orc players do match up really well against eldar they have bodies that eldar can't necessarily deal with um depending on the eldar list you see now they have psychic powers so they can kind of counter mess with psychic powers they can obviously shoot as well as eldar if the eldar player and then more importantly they can cover a lot of the board uh and which eldar might have a hard time dealing with so it, it's I can see it, and I've heard a lot of players, like like a lot of really good players, and a lot of people who know 40k, saying like kind of like it's it's kind of almost become a cliche, like orcs beat Eldar, and and I actually agree with that cliche. I just wanted to know what the stats say about that. So so how okay. do Thousand Suns compete against Eldar, comparing against right, uh, so Eldar, and then how do orcs compare against Eldar? So overall, uh, we'll go from since the beginning, just because like I said, we don't have a ton of post orc data. Uh huh. Um, Thousand Suns versus regular Eldar, they have a 72% win rate. Oh, um, against Drukari, it's 42, uh, 42.68, almost 43%. So Drukari tend, uh, have a slight advantage. Um, against Harlequins, uh, 25% win rate. Harlequins have won... Just destroy they, thousands, they've only, jeez. They've only played 12 games. So th- oh, in okay. that case, it, they've won three, lost <laughs> nine. It's still like a pretty significant, I guess, um, but not overly. And then against Denari, they have a, almost a 60% win rate. They're the only faction that has above a 50% win rate against Denari. Yeah. Um, that's that's insane. Denari don't deal with all those smites no. well. Um, even with their ability to scoot around, they they don't, don't have the bodies to absorb and, it. And if we look post-orcs, um, like I said, we don't have a lot of data. Four games against Denari, um, and it's two wins. A loss. Uh, sorry, a win, a, a win, two losses, and a draw. Yeah, don't worry so about not that. Not a lot of data there. Uh, Drukari, they've well, Drukari, they played nine times. Still, uh, they are three and six against Druk- uh, Drukari. So Drukari do still seem to have their number. Okay. Um, and they're a hundred percent win rate against Denari post orcs. <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> um, so so how do orcs fare against Eldar? So let, let's put that to rest first. Okay. Before I, well, I say what I want to say. Well, let's take a look. And like I said, once again, we're looking at small portions of data so i'll do my best to see what we got um eight games against uh, regular uh, eldar they have a 37.5 percent win percentage so far they're 50 50 against drukari uh 50 50 mm-hmm. against harlequins and a 40 percent win rate versus anari wow over five games so, so or- two and three so orcs just don't match up well against eldar 
so far. But hmm. like well, with most of these the, cases, yeah. uh, with the exception of against guard, uh, really, they don't have a ton of games to really make. Well, and against Imperial Knights, they don't have a ton of games <laughs> to really say what's what. I mean, against guard, they've played 19 games against guard. They what's have a their 37% win? win percentage. Oh, man. Um, but I mean, that a lot of that can be uh, Yarrick, which you're starting to see pop up everywhere. And well, you should. Guys, if you're running more than like the, 180 points of a guard, think about Yarrick or just put him in there. S- so that's actually an interesting thing. I just want to throw in a little aside here. There is a discussion about that on one of the competitive 40k page recently. A lot of the the top players, uh, Nick Brown and or several other guys included, weighed in said that they don't like Yarek. Um, I am not with him on that. I think Yarek is well worth his points, but um, a number of the very good players in the game said that they don't think Yarek is worth it, even when you are lar- running a large guard contingent. I don't know. I mean, I, like, I also disagree, I, and that's I, like, especially now that they have that Emperor's whatever conclave uh, or whatchamacallit sure. detachment, and, that makes and, them so good. And to be clear, yeah, to be clear, I also disagree, but. In in fairness, there are a number of very good players who don't sit with us on that, and I think it's worth bringing that yeah. up. Are you good players? It's, I'm not a good player. Everybody, yeah. listen to them. Don't listen to me. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, it's it, consider that there are multiple yeah, sides yeah. to oh, the issue. Sure. That's all yeah, I want to sure. present it, here. And in that issue, I, I can see, I can kind of see where both arguments come from. Right? Where on the one hand, it's like obviously Ark is really one against orc players, and and if you feel like you have a hard time against orcs, might maybe consider throwing them in. But I highly doubt that orcs have a 35% win percentage against Astromel Charm strictly because of Yarrick. No, that, no, for sure. It's not. not. It's also mortars and right, vultures. Everything. And guard have volume yeah, and, and of What's the power. win percentage against knights versus orcs? 40% uh, orcs. So, so, so not only, not only mm. do orcs have a hard time dealing with Astromel Terum, but they also have a hard time dealing with knights. The two most common faction, the yeah. most common faction pairing, and the two most common factions, period. Right. So, so I, I think that's probably. I think we figured out well, why orcs aren't performing better more than they better than they are. And on that subject, um, obviously the data is is one thing. Good orc players f- trash good knight players. Yes. Um, a good orc army is virtually impossible for a good knight army to stop. Yeah. Um, if you want to see that, watch that Charity Hammer stream. Yeah, th- you this can is, see a couple yeah. very good players doing that. So keep in mind, these are the overall percentages, not the percentages for the people who yeah, are and winning. The, and that's something and, that, sorry. Uh, that's yeah. something I, I wanted to look at. I just didn't have time, of course. Plus, we don't have a lot of data yet on the uh, what what you would call... I hate saying that. The, the good players. There's a lot of people yeah. that want me to well, to like scrub data. Yeah. They're like, take out all the bad players. And so, well, what's a bad player? Um, yeah, not that. And bad player data matters exactly. too. Like those people are at turnouts. Yeah. And the other thing is about the, the quote unquote bad players is like I'm not going to make that decision on who a bad yes. player is because for all I know, whether I've heard of the name or not, either a it's just because you know I'm relatively new to the hyper competitive scene so maybe uh you know like and i'm not i'll use as an example let's say uh, all of a sudden i hear the name uh, steve pamperine i'm like i've never heard of that guy before he must be garbage uh so i i <laughs> I, I flip off his list um but then some like i don't know stevie the wonderkind who's never come to a major goes out to bao goes like six and one um He's never played in anything before. No one knows who he is. He brought an Imperial Fist Brigade that everyone thinks is garbage. 
somehow wins everything. Like I, sh- I, sh- I don't want to scrub that list either, right? Yeah. So there's it, it, it anyway. It's, to be honest, a, Peter, I'm off topic. Uh, yeah, it was off topic. But to be honest, Peter, even as someone who's who's in tune with the hyper competitive meta, like myself, I still consistently have a hard time dealing with everyone's name, right? Like like poor John Lennon, who's a phenomenal player. Um, if you'd asked me like five months ago, like how good do you think John Lennon, or like do you think John Lennon has a chance against Nick Nottavani? I'd be like, no, you'd be he's like he's just, dead. I don't even know who he is. <laughs> but if you ask me now, I'd be dead like, for you know, years. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, know, you know, if you ask me now, I'd be like, "Oh, well, you know what? John Lennon—he's a good player. He's scrappy. I'm sure he'll be able—he'd be able to beat Nick." I, I, I still wouldn't—I still wouldn't put him over over Nick. Like, I would still pick Nick, Nick Nottavati over anyone in, in 40k. Period. Just just because. Whoa. Yeah, he's arguably the best 40k player right now. Pablo Boner alert. Obviously, it's it's not it's like it's it's <laughs> almost factual at this point. Almost one hundred percent factual at this point. Um, so I would I would naturally pick Nick Navadi over anyone. But Don't my talk point about my, facts with the stats <laughs> guy. Anyway, <laughs> the point is the point is is that um, I think I agree with you. I think that you need to have all the stats, and then one day in the future we might have a a day where we'll be able to sort out all the players with winning records and and how they pair up against each other versus all the players, you know, with losing records. I mean, the beautiful day is we have a circuit. You're right. Like a, an actual right. circuit, we not, have like, this. not the current one, right? Like, I mean, one where we get to pay players, and so then there's no need to scrub because these be are all the guys that are getting paid to play this game, right? So, And and as as the game goes on, as we get more games and more players and more tournaments, the data will improve. For sure. Um you know, for as much as we've said we don't have enough data, eventually we will. Yep. And to be fair, we have a lot of data. Uh, for we can, I can say a lot about how this game has been. It's just like every time something new comes out, it's like, well, I don't have enough data about that yet. And that's always the, that's always going to be the problem. Is yeah. like as soon as another FAQ comes out, it's like, well, what about the FAQ? And it's like, okay, well, give me a month, and then hopefully they won't release another FAQ. And then I'll, or like a bonkers codex, it'll be, maybe the next codex will be shitty like Space Wolves. And then I, I, I can be like, well, I can just ignore that and keep moving. Uh, anyway. So um, back from the weeds. Welcome. Welcome back, guys. Welcome to Chapter Tactics. <laughs> this is where we're talking about uh, stats for 2018. Um, but the whole point of all of this conversation that I was trying to make um, was that it's interesting to see Chaos Space Marines and those factions kind of lowering across or having the win percentage lowered across the board post orcs, whereas Eldar, who who were perceived to be weak to orcs, um, still performing really well. And I think we had our I think we got our answer. The answer is is that orcs are actually not performing as well against Eldar as we thought. And also Chaos Space Marines are in general just losing to everything. And also orc players are just Orcs are like losing really hard to the most popular faction, um, and also Inari. So it, you know, orcs are not as as OP as I th- as I thought originally coming into this. I thought their win percentage would be a lot higher. No, the, ahead, yeah, and that just goes back to but what they, we talked about like right. a half an hour ago, right? right exactly. Yeah. There's for every five ridiculous orc players that are do- going to dominate, there's like eight that are, you know, drunk underneath the table and just want you to roll the dice for them. So maybe, but they're also orcs are also <laughs> also not winning tournaments. That's that that uh, Steve Pamprine. Yeah, going to get open. Okay, yeah. so Steve Pamprine, yeah. but but that's it. Yeah, but we've only had like what eight tournaments true, since. True, like, true, <laughs> like, true, 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 true. So, yeah. Um, so back and, the truck up for a minute. Like we've had, yeah, we've had a ton and of top I have fours. On, 
um, and sorry, Sean, one more thing. No, I didn't. You, you, you had started yeah. there. It's, I was going to say, I have on good word that more than a few of the players who were at the Charity Hammer event are going to be bringing orcs to LVO. Yeah, I'm not going to call out any specific names, but you will see some very, very good players well, bringing go. orcs. And they're not doing it because they think orcs are cute. They're doing it because they oh, think, think orcs, orcs are the best cute. faction. Yeah, I think they are, if if not the best, top two for sure. It'll it'll Maybe be interesting. Yeah. I, I think I think you're right. I think that it in this case, orc players, the, the determination, how you determine orcs' value as a faction in terms of competitiveness is going to ride solely on the fact how many good players will take orcs and then that's it mm-hmm. um overall mm-hmm. though they're just they're not as is overpowered as i think oh. people have because if they were really overpowered then they would be like inari where you you'd have like a good majority of people play them just doing really well and getting a stupidly high win percentage. I think it'd be more like Imperial Knights, but yes. I or, or, I or think, yeah, like Imperial Knights. Where you, I don't think they'd be at a 60 or 70, because I think that's a, a, a quality of player uh, thing. Um, but Imperial Knights, uh, not that you... you uh, not that Imperial Knights attracts bad players, but uh, they're very forgiving by the fact that they skew so hard. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, well, last thing I think we should talk about for overalls is we really should look at uh, T-Whip or T-Whip, depending so, on how I typed it. Yeah, so so let's let's talk about Imperium real quick. Oh, so okay. We, we didn't we didn't really <laughs> we didn't really talk about the rest of the Imperium. We, we kind of oh, glossed yeah. over them yeah. a little bit. Um, Ooh, so boring. <laughs> just it, basically, all I wanted to highlight is um, pre-FAQ to post it, post orcs. Uh, Blood Angels as a primary detachment have been the biggest risers, the biggest gainers. Pre-FAQ, they were 36% mm-hmm. win percentage primary detachment. So th- this is not the Castellan list. Because I'm sure Blood Angels performed really well in lists in general as like two Smash Captains and three Scout Squads. Yeah, they had well over a 50% win percentage yeah. as that. But anyway. But, but Blood Angels primary as a faction have gone from 36% to 49.58% as the biggest, uh, I'd say the biggest winners of the Orc meta. What um, I would say, yes, for the orc meta, um, that uh, I would say, yeah, them and Dark Angels, Dark Angels, Dark, yeah. um, they went from a thirty-nine prefac to almost a forty-nine postfac. They're sitting at almost a fifty-two now post orcs, fifty-one point five. Um, it's really big, and it's not just like Aaron Wish. Um, and the funny thing about Dark Angel players is, um, although now there's this new swing for the um, just taking some ale and three Talon Masters. Uh, it's really it is good. really good, and by the way, guys, think about it. Um, but um, like a lot of Dark Angels players play almost purely pure Dark Angels, with maybe an assassin t- uh, tagged in, uh, and, and they do fine. They do just fine. They're not maybe winning. Mm-hmm. Well, Aaron Wish can win with that because he's he's a crazy man. Um, but like, yeah, they they perform generally very well with pure Dark Angels, um, which is something that pretty much nobody else can say in the Imperium. So. Yeah, and although and, oh, Death Watch guys watch Death Watch, I think they're going to start seeing some stuff soon. Uh, they, there's a lot of people looking at them. Now, whether it'll turn into anything will be another story, but yeah, they have a pretty deep hole to climb out yeah. of if they want. They're at 25% post orcs, and even on a slightly broader set, that's like only 31, 32 uh, percent. Another, yeah. it's another bad. army that I think you need to watch out for is Admech. Colt Mechanicus, who um, have been on the rise, so they they had a fifty percent yeah um, showing in November, which is okay, but a fifty six percent showing in December, 
um, with a 52% win percentage post-orcs. So not crazy, but we are post-chapter approved now. They've already shown that they can perform well. Um, they and did just win a 1,750-point yeah. GT on yeah. the weekend. Yeah, so th- they've shown that they could steal wins and perform well throughout the year. Um, but they're only, they only make up like 2% of the field, if that. And they're not going to make up much yeah. more than that. Because even when people were running them in the um, 2017 year, uh, when they were running that, what was that stupid formation that, that you could get free upgrades for everything? What was that the, called? Uh... War yeah, the war convocation. The war, yeah, yeah. So, so even when they had the war convocation, they were still one of the most least represented factions. So, um, there's yeah. no, just not enough. There's just not a lot of admin players. Um, but they they might be an army that sneaks into the top eight or the top sixteen. You know, I I would call them functional. The especially with the changes, they have a codex that can do okay. You can ally in knights and some other things to cover up a couple of your weaknesses, yeah. and they work pretty well for what they do. And there's a lot of people talking about the fact that they can give a knight cover and some other sh- mm-hmm. uh, shenanigans. So like they're not, they're definitely not awful. Yeah, yeah, they have access yeah. to the best, the best um, factions, ally factions. They can cherry pick a uh, weakness with assassins or really good characters. Um, and then they can run a night, and then they can bring bring the pain. This is so. And they, sorry, I was gonna say they have one of the most important things for a faction to be good, which is really good troops. Yes, mm-hmm. the Admech troops are fantastic. All right, so let's talk about T Whip now. We're enough T-whip. enough about We're the T-whip. win percentage. So, so the T Whip. Um, uh, Peter, would you like to explain it? Sure. So T-Whip, or T-Whip, depending on how I typed it that day, um, is tournaments and winning position. Um, what that is, is we break down, I look at um, any uh, the amount of times a, a specific faction or a list it has won at least four games in a row. So they went uh, 4-0. and um, so anybody that goes four and zero in a five or six round tournament, or even more, is generally those are the generally the people that are in it to win it. Um, that's the like that that fourth game is often the 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 breaking point for a list, because um, uh, almost any faction can win three games is how I like to think about it. You you see it all the time if you look at mm-hmm. like BCP for an RTT, you'll see weird lists win go three and zero just because yeah. of what they played against. But that fourth game is often hard, especially at a at a like a big GT or major. So um, it's a really good uh, indicator of how a faction is actually performing. And uh, I break down T whip percentage uh, by like the percent of times. In this case, what we're looking at is the percentage of lists that that did go four and zero overall. So if we look at, um, I'll just take a random thing: post orcs. Uh, Astra Militarum, 14.29%. So that means that uh, 14%, 14% of the lists that went 4-0, so that's of everybody, uh, were Astra Militarum lists. Now, when you look... And is is this primary Astra Primary Astra Militarum, we're talking about? yes. Okay. So uh, when you look at the fact that they were 8.6% of the meta... I think in terms of the actual, like how many people, uh, the the actual lists, uh, that's pretty significant. Um, oftentimes, mm-hmm. you can tell how well a faction is performing, and I think it's a better tell of how well a faction is performing than win percentage um, when you compare. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So if you look at uh, orcs, eight point five seven percent since their uh, since their codex has, was released, and they're about seven percent of the meta. So that's a that's a really healthy win percent. Uh, 
T-Whip. Generally, if you look yes. at Inari, who I failed to put on this because I, for some reason, tagged Tyranids, mm. um, <laughs> Inari are, I can just tell you, they are consistently between 10 and 15% Which is month crazy. to month. They've, I don't think they've That's ever brutal. been below yeah. um, that number. So they're, they're all, they yeah. always perform very well. They always tend to have a 2.6 to 2.9 um, in terms of the average la- uh, round loss. Like right now, post orcs, they have the highest average round loss, and that would be the 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 first time that a, a faction loses in a tournament. I I've been calculating that as well. Post orcs, it's all it's just barely under round three that, that an Inari list gets their first so loss. Yeah, so your average Inari player yeah. is going two and oh, three and oh, consistently. It's going three and oh. Yeah, yeah, three and zero. Oh, yeah, yeah, three and consistently. Oh. Three and zero. Oh, well, they're going three crazy. rounds before they get a loss. before they get a loss. Yeah. So that's that's and that's very good in, in this like highly competitive play. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. T Whip is a is for me is probably and uh, kudos to Val. It's his it's his name naming convention. He was the one that wanted me to start calculating this. I did, and I think it's well worth it. Um, like month to month, there have been some crazy numbers. Uh, Imperial Knights in September had a fifteen point eight percent. Uh, T whip. Yeah, like Tyranids with a fifteen point seven in September, yeah. same month. <laughs> um, Astra Militarum in December. What like we only had four or five tournaments. Forty five percent T whip. Forty five point four five. Well, they, they made up the list they, in December. They made up thirty percent of the field, and and <laughs> out of that that thirty percent of the field, half of them went four and zero or better. A little less yeah, than half but, of them went four and zero yeah, or better. They did really good. Yeah. They did yeah. really good. Which is to say there were like six tournaments in the whole nation and yeah. you know, three of them had an Astro Militarum <laughs> right. player who had, went four. Three of them had two Astro Militarum oh. players go four and oh. Jeez. So yeah. no, it's uh it's yeah. So T Whip is something I, I really like to look at uh, to really gauge how a list is doing. So well, and for for the players who are looking to make the top ranks, if you're hoping to win a GT event T-Whip is a great idea to look at so that you can tell what to expect to have to beat. Um, so Astra Militarum, obviously. Imperial Knights, yes, of course. Yanari, yeah. I mean, who didn't guess that one? Orcs as well. And I will call out Tau Empire at 8.5% in T-Whip, mm-hmm. uh, post-Orcs. Yeah. Um, these are armies you need to be ready to beat. Oh, and um, Chaos Demons Yeah, also. Chaos Demons are doing uh, really Chaos well. Chaos Demons are not a no, joke. No. Um, and if you look at Drakari post-Fac... Uh, 12% uh, post-FAQ yeah. that they, they, they've had the best run. They've had eight undefeated lists post-FAQ, just to put that into perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, is that the most of any which is sig- faction? Yeah, 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 by far. So the, uh, It's like th- three or four more than anybody else, I believe. So one thing I want to do, um, and let me know, guys, if you guys want, if you guys think this is a good idea, is I'd really like to give, um, put out T-Whip tiers, uh, and that that's basically a... Uh, like a tournament, like you could use it as like a tracker for the list you would expect to play in a tournament. So to give you kind of an idea, I tried doing this last year. Um, if you were playing at the Las Vegas Open, right? You had six rounds. Um, you you wanted to kind of figure out what kind of lists you were going to play depending on how, how well you did. So if you wanted to go 6-0, theoretically, if you were going to go 6-0, you would probably play your first two rounds and you'd probably play one of the 3% or less lists. Um, you'd have a good chance of playing. You'd have like a 40% chance of playing, like, Space Wolves, you know, Blood Angel, you know, uh, Colt Mechanicus, the, the 3% or less representation lists. Um, and then from there, where would you, 
what would you be more likely to see? And so obviously, if you're going five and zero, six and zero, you would you would most likely see Astro Militarum lists, Knight lists, uh, Tau lists, Orc lists, Chaos Demon lists, probably, um, with the way they're performing right now. Uh, and then those are the lists you're like you're not guaranteed to see, but those are the lists you're probably because those lists combined, you're already at more than a sixty percent chance of seeing one of those lists. With with the stragglers being everything else, so that'd be something I'd be kind of interested in to get like T whip tiers. Things like that, uh, projected tournament schedule, all that stuff. I know that's the kind of stuff a lot of people want as well, uh, especially for the high-end players. Uh, but if you're trying to map out your road to going six and zero or five and one at the LVO, um, listen to this episode and then just keep track of the the win or the um, list percentages and the win percentages. You can kind of get an idea of roughly with T Whip roughly what factions you're going to be playing every round. You can get an idea. Oh, and nope. for for those who care about all this kind of stuff, uh, this this data is available on the 40k stats page, isn't it? Yes, uh, 40kstats.com. Um, the PDF that I sent to you guys is not, but what I'll do, because sure. I just noticed there's a mistake, I'm going to correct the mistake in the PDF file, I'll send it to Pablo, he can tag it to the uh, Frontline Gaming uh, website. And uh, that way people can actually view the PDF for themselves, do what they want with it. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't drill down. If people, uh, if you want, you can also email me. My email is uh, linked on 40kstats.com. I can give you the Power BI file that I used uh, or the Excel file, depending on what you use for program, um, to gather all this data uh, if you're really that interested. I know a lot of people are. That's That tends to be the email I get the most after we do one of these uh, podcasts is, hey, can I see the data that you're pulling? I want to deep dive it myself. And people do some really awesome stuff with it, uh, which uh, is great. Yeah, there's... Well, this is this is great stuff to have, and you've done a huge service for the community and putting all of this together. We really appreciate oh, guys, it, guys. Don't. Oh, no, we we do seriously. Like as forty k becomes a real professional thing. I mean, we're obviously not professional level, but people are starting to put professional levels of effort into it. This sort of thing is really mm -hmm. important to have, um, and it's really meaningful. So we can. It's not just our opinions anymore. It's actual numbers that we can talk about. And that's the that's what I've always wanted was like because when I first got into this hobby 10, 12 years ago, it's always been a thing where people like to just say things, right? It's this <laughs> army's bad, or this army always beats this army, and uh, it it's always been a bother to me as a statistician, which was kind of like my previous jobs uh was always like well where are the numbers for that where are you pulling this from is it from one tournament is it from whatever so now that we're starting to see that data it, it, it's really working out i i've said it a few times i'm super excited for the fact that uh, bcp and uh, down under pairings are really getting into the the data game too because that's you're getting it from the source then and they'll be able to do so much more than i can in much uh, such a short shorter period of time and if we could only get everybody to come together and make like one big app for it all, um, so that way we're not trying to look at like what's going on in Australia, what's going on in the UK, um, it'll just be even better. But that aside, do we want to talk about some of like the fun facts? Yes. Now that we've kind of gone through, absolutely, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Um, so, so you know what, Peter, just take it away. There's this bullet points, and we'll just kind of chime yeah. in. Okay, so regale us. Let's do. Let's talk briefly about unit representation because I don't think I think there's no surprises here. Um, so what I did this unit representation file, it's the every model from every unit that that finished in the top four in the last thirty three, and I know that's an arbitrary number, but that's just what it was. Thirty three GTs and majors that I covered. So mm -hmm. there's a hundred and thirty two lists here. Um, 
and you can see exactly what people played in those top four. So if we go and we sort this by uh, lists, let's do that one first. So the most represented unit in 41 of those 132 lists is your standard infantry squad. Um, it mm-hmm. made up 1,798 models in those lists, or 187 units. Next up, we have company commanders, which showed up in 39 lists. So there were two guard players that, for some reason, felt like company commanders weren't worth it. Uh, Probably brought a named version or primary psychers or whatnot. Or, or the, yeah, I believe one of the, actually, I, I do remember, one was three primary psychers, and I believe the other one mm-hmm. was... Um, I want to say it was Josh Death's List, who brought like an officer of the fleet and like two shadow swords oh, and a yeah. marauder or something like that. Um, yes. So, or two marauders <laughs> and a shadow sword. Uh, anyway, two marauders and shadow yeah, sword. That's yeah, that's it. I believe <laughs> I don't believe he had a company commander. Um, anyway, um, next up we have mortars. Showed up in thirty-four lists, two hundred and fifty-seven mortars over hundred and six units. <laughs> Um, and by the way, for the units here, because sometimes people obviously tagged a mortar to an infantry st- squad, I counted that as a unit. Just so, oh, okay. So real quick before you go on, how, this is all post orcs, you know, representation, right? No, this is just basically the last six months worth of data. Oh, because because uh, I see that there's 31 Castellans and 30 lists, which means one person ran two Castellans. Two. Yeah, they um, did. They're but they're mm-hmm. a beast. Does a that monster. mean there were only 30 lists? With a Knight Castellan? Because that seems a little low. In the, no, this no. is in the, remember, this is in the top four of oh, duh, top 30 four. tournaments, of right? Of course. So it's only oh, like yeah. 120 lists. You're so right, yes, you're right. That's still, it's still a quarter of the lists had a Knight Castellan in it. Just yeah, shy, yeah. right? Like, uh, don't, uh-huh. don't worry, they were there. <laughs> Peter, out of, out of curiosity, how many, did you measure Renegade Castellans or Renegade Dominuses? No, Do you have I did not, because not very okay. many Renegades actually, I don't even think any were in the top four of any of the Don Hoosen. Oh, sorry, yes, there was one. <laughs> that was uh, it, though. Uh, he ran Renegade yeah, yeah, Armagers, he, he, he but he not ran, Dominus. He ran a, oh, yeah, there yeah, were no Dom- I don't believe there was a Dominus in the top four. I think he ran uh, a Renegade Knight oh. Warden, too, as well. Yeah, I have it. I think I have yeah. Renegade Knights listed here, and they were all in, they weren't Wardens, they're the, well, they're the double Gatling Cannon in almost every case. Yeah. Um, the they're down there somewhere because there's only been one or two. Um, rangers. I was just curious, Rangers. There were th- uh, 401 Rangers uh, were brought to to top fours. 293 Shining Spears. So, you know, just a small amount of Shining Spears in top fours <laughs> over the last few months. Um, only 317 Scout Squads. 208 Dark Reapers. Here's, you know, just mm-hmm. rookie numbers. Here's one that I'm kind of surprised yeah. by. There was only one player to make a top four with a feculent gnarl ball. Yep. That's actually like that's actually really surprising because that's a really good unit. Well it is. The problem is it eats a whole detachment by uh-huh. itself. Yeah. And Chaos has so many good ally options that it's fallen out of favor. Yeah, and the fact is, uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, the other thing, I'll, it's also the thing that most people cheat in a list with the most because I don't think they know that the, it's supposed to take an attachment. Mm. Frequent, I shouldn't yeah. say frequently, but like once in a while, I'll see a list with, with like four or five attachments in it. And it's because of these feculent Narawas. <laughs> uh, there was one, I believe, at Iron Halo that I sent to Pablo after the fact. I was mm-hmm. like, that was confusing. What's going on here? And Pablo's like, I don't know what's going on here. What are you even talking about? I was like, well, weren't you there? Didn't you tell this guy he was? cheating he's like, i don't know what you're talking about i didn't look at every list i'm like you goober that's what i said i didn't call him a goober i said it in my head he should have anyway. called me i i felt it i felt the goober from from miles away 
Um, um, but yeah, it's sorry. just kind of it's kind of interesting that there's as many feculent normals as there have been Cyclops demolition vehicles. Which is there's only one there was only one Cyclops, and whoever ran that Cyclops and made a top four Night Sea event, congratulations, you lived my yeah, dream. Just, like there was only one Night Commander Pask, only one Vulture. Yeah, that's gonna change. There's yeah. a Mog and Raw. There's only one unit of Noise Marines, which is actually another surprising yeah, yeah. one. It's interesting. Yeah, secretary. They're a little tricky. Secretary but... hoplites. I really liked seeing that those in a list. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah that's a shock. Hort- Horticulus Slimics. There was one of them. Uh, back to the bigger numbers. Yeah, let's go back to the <laughs> We're big numbers. Like way in the weeds. So, there. Um, <laughs> so the top five units that people were bringing were infantry squad, mortars, Eldar rangers, company commanders, and scout squads. Space marine yes. scout squads. No surprises there at all. No, and then you have ravagers. Captains with jump packs, shining spears. Like um, when you look at model counts, it's infantry squads, uh, chaos cultists, rangers, mm-hmm. uh, plague bears, five hundred and seventy nine, but uh, only over nine lists. I think there was one that I thought was kind of funny when I looked at number of models. It was um, termagants, and the only reason why oh, I yeah. thought it was hilarious was because it was in five <laughs> lists, 395. I believe t- – I want to s- – and guys, I'm really sorry. Uh, I believe it was Taren- Darren Jack in Canada, uh, also a hero. He played 240 in one list, <laughs> um, and that yeah. really spiked that number. So he uh, made if you played four. against that list – That's so funny. Yeah. That, that's where the, most of the Termagants in the top four – yeah, from. it's it's almost it's exclusively in, in a his single list. army. Yeah. yeah, I love uh, that. Another thing that's kind of cool. Um, I'm not going to go with with Imperium Chaos or Eldari, uh, but the most the highest performing Tyranid unit in the top four were Neurothropes. So the, and they were by far the the um by most lists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They were by far the um most common unit in the top four for the Xenos factions we talked about. So Orcs, Necrons, Tyr- yeah. you know, Tau. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I think... The, no, no, there's no... We're, and then the next highest from there would be Fire Warriors, which were actually really common um, with 18 yep. units. You gotta take them. Uh, neophyte hybrids also showing up in large numbers, if not large numbers of lists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so do you think you'd have these stats up for people too, Peter, or no? Um, I don't have them on my website, but if you want, like anything that I sent you, none of this is a secret, right? I'm not putting credit card numbers or anything in this, uh, so go to town. Um, maybe I'll hide one just for you guys if you can find it, but, uh, yeah, there's nothing private here. I don't have names attached or anything like that. It's just fun little uh, data that I know some people like, um, uh, RVD one of a kind. I think he did this for like a 2000 tournaments or something absurd because he's a maniac. Um, <laughs> so like, it's it's always it's just fun stuff that I I thought would be cool to see, and sometimes I do stats just to see if there's something interesting, like something like, something that I wouldn't suspect, and then uh, usually it comes out like this where it's like okay yeah this is exactly what should have happened. Uh, yeah. None of these units are like the top side, the bottom side. Like we were saying, there's all sorts of little fun stuff there, um, like yeah. Anyway, no, it's 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 very very <laughs> cool. If you, I, I highly recommend. If you're one of those players who wants to, who wants to do well with one of the underperforming factions, um, I do suggest reaching out to Peter via 40kstats.com uh, and asking him for this, and just looking at the top performing units in your faction, um, because that's typically what people are running. Um, yeah. And one thing, guys, you can always email me just to ask for a weird stat. And as long as it's not too, like, 
crazy, I'll generally do it for you. I've been asked for for stuff. I get asked for stuff all the time. I have no problem generally. Like if it's if it's nothing. Like I said, if it's not like I want to know exactly how many times uh, somebody uh, used a Lehman Russ in a tournament. Um, th- that I might not. I might say no to because um, it'll take a while. But th- that being said. I've been really bored, and I have pulled exactly how many times the Night Crusader was used as a secondary. Uh, so, <laughs> so, so, so it has happened that if, if you catch me on a good day where I'm not really where I'm at work and there's no planes, I'll pull that data for you. So, I want to know how many times a Cyclops has blown up exactly four Fire Warriors <laughs> and then made them run away. Oh, I know that stat actually. Is it zero, zero, <laughs> zero. Yes. Damn it! I knew it. Anyways, um, so let's go ahead and go on to the final bit. So this is this is a bit more fun stuff. This is just kind of stats and tidbits and facts that Peter pulled through this data about the top lists, the top performing lists. So if you're wondering like how the top lists performed against each other, and this isn't the top factions, this is like the top lists, the best of the best, uh, how they're performing against each other, um, how they're performing in general, and all that stuff. This is a very interesting segment. So take it away, Peter. Okay, so we'll leave it with this. Um, so Pablo asked me, oh, I don't know, a couple a m- month ago maybe, that he would be really interested to see like what the top lists do and how they perform against each other, but not just like the faction versus faction. So try to get into the nitty gritty if I could. So I did. Um, so I grabbed data for the Inari for just the Castellan. Like I don't care if it's primary Imperial Knights. I went d- deep dived every list that had a Castellan, grabbed all the data I could out of that. Uh, which there's some surprise. Well, I shouldn't say surprises. There's stuff there that um, that I thought was surprising just because of how good it was compared to uh, like we already knew it was good, but it's it's crazier than that. Um, Thousand Suns, Drukari, and uh, I did a little side by side for orcs, which we've kind of already covered. So we'll kind of skip on skip off of yeah. that. Um, and before you so go on, let's start. So before yes. you go on, I would I would say that that Inari. The Castle List, Thousand Suns, and Dark Eldar. I would say that those are probably the four best factions. And I would maybe throw, if you wanted to round it up to a top five, I would maybe throw Tau in there as a top five now, post chapter approved. But uh, Sean, what would you, if you had to round out your top five? That's tough. Um, the Castellan List with Guard, obviously. Orcs, Yanari. I'm not sure. Tau might slip into the top five, but I think you have to put Thousand Suns or some variant of the Chaos Soup in there, uh, because that list is simply too good to ignore. Um, and then, you know, sp- spot number five is Drukari or Tau or Tyranids. Tyranids are close. Those all have some... They all have some really good builds. Honestly, I would say eight. I, I would try and make a top eight, and I would basically say that list right there because those are all lists you need to be worried about. Yeah, well, good because we're going to talk about probably five of them right now. Okay, so awesome. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. So, so, so <laughs> no, no, are, it's fine. This is these the are stuff the four, we want to talk about. Yeah, these are the top. I, I if, if I were to make power rankings, these all these lists would be in the top five. I would say. So go okay. on. Go on. So let's start with Anari. So um, and these are just kind of bullet point things. Uh, for Inari, um, I've recorded, in the last six months, I've recorded 108 lists that ran uh, Inari as primary. They have a 358, 109, uh, 358 wins, 197 losses, and 11 draws. So a 64.22% win rate as a primary faction. 
As a secondary faction, uh, 60 wins, 47 losses, 3 draws, 55.91. Still a pretty decent win rate, um, but like it, it seems to me, it seems to be that you want to run them as your primary. Um, and then what I did was I went and I removed all of the mirror matches to get like the actual win rate because a mirror match is always going to dumb down to 50%. Um, and uh, the Inari mirror, they played each other, they played them themselves 20 times. So it actually had about a 1% impact, 1.5. They actually have a 65.8% win rate um, over the last six months. It's uh, the highest, but not by far. It, on paper, it looks like it's a few percentages over until you start taking the mirror matches out of everybody else. Um, I then went and looked into each one of those lists. Um, of those 108, 54 of them ran either double or triple Shining Spear. Triple is was there was only one or two. Um, but I kind of I was gonna say that's I kind of just tagged that into like the double because it kind of runs the exact in a similar fashion. The triples were generally like a unit of nine, a unit of six, and a unit of three. Um, so they would pro mm, so okay. from yeah. a play standpoint, it's gonna be pretty much the same as a double um 40 of them ran yeah. single shining spear um there were 12 that ran no spears whatsoever um uh, those brave souls like daniel olivas who like who just want to do other things and then i had two unrecorded lists and these were people that decided not to upload their lists they're just big jerks um speaking of speaking of that those two people first off shame on you for not uploading this but as a faction Inari players, round of applause for for 106 out of 108 recorded lists actually put into the software and recorded. Yeah, you did a pretty good job. <laughs> I, I I don't know what the other stats are on the other lists, but I would imagine uh, generally that is not the as best, good. That is the best it's percentage. One of, so one of the best one by the far. Best. Yeah. So Inari players, um, you guys are doing it right. <laughs> so uh, the win rate for single spear is at 64.35%. For double spear, 6636 uh, Other is at 55.38%. Um, I went and looked at how the, the Inari uh, ran against Castellans. So I dug real deep, looked at each individual list they played against uh, that were like a guard primary. Um, they've played against the Castellan um, 16 times so far. Uh, Castellan plus guard. Sorry, they played against more Castellans, but the specific like majority guard Castellan list. Uh, single spear uh, is five and two versus Castellan uh, versus uh, and guard, while double spear is three and six. So it looks like the single spear uh, with the the data that we have uh, performs better. Um, I would probably attribute hmm. that to having more points to put to uh, something that can deal with a Castellan. Um, I, I, yeah, well, you have tools like uh, Agents of Vect and stuff like that that see a lot more play in the exactly, spear, and just because you're not sinking some people. Exactly, and a lot of those single, I shouldn't say a lot, but a number of those shining uh, single spears came up during the um, like just after Nick Nadavati, uh went and used yeah. grotesques at Nova. Was it? So you saw you saw a, like a, a bit of a, a splurge on players doing that, taking grotesques do you, with do their Dracari. Do you guys recall if um yeah. if Brandon Grant at the SoCal Open, if he was playing a an Inari list with a single spear, or double spear? It was double. It was double spear. Matt Matt, yeah, Matt Johansson almost always runs double. There was one time he ran a single with a unit of Corsairs as well. Corsair Sky. Uh, Interesting. He's actually run Corsairs multiple times, but that was uh, there was one time he did it as a single spear. Hear that, Matt? You should have ran the single spear. Better chance of winning. <laughs> he does okay. Oh, he, he does. does okay. He does okay. He's, last <laughs> time I heard, he was pretty good. Last time I heard, he's do, he's done fine. Um, there's more Inari talk later because I just uh, 
I kind of get in this like beautiful mind situation when I'm doing stats where I just start like blurting data. Uh, so we might touch on them again when I go over the other factions. Um, Castellan data. So the Knight Castellan has appeared in 223 lists uh, that I've recorded, um, which is no small amount. There's only been, I believe, three House House Raven lists that didn't run a Castellan. They ran either Valiants or Armagers instead. Um, its record as part of a primary Imperial Knights list is 372, 290, and 9 for a 56% win percentage. Um, it was 57.53 prefac, 54.2% post-FAQ, uh, so a small dip in its performance. As a secondary to other Imperium factions, it's 346, 207, and 8, so a 62 point, uh, almost 4% win percentage. It was at 65.9 prefac, 57.8 post-FAQ. Uh, post FAQ, it did uh, the uh, Night Crusader started to see a lot more play as a secondary, uh, just to free up points because I think people thought the uh, the CP uh, dig into the Castellan w- wasn't worth it. But it's it's only been 104, 106, and one as a secondary. It has a sub 50% win rate uh, when taken as a secondary versus the the Castellan. Um, hmm. Pre FAQ, there were 54 House Raven Castellan used as secondaries. Uh, 30 of which were in the list. So, and I, the list included anybody that took a Catechin Brigade, um, a Castellan, and then either uh, two to three uh, Smash Captains um, or the like Smash Captains plus the Scouts. Uh, so, 30 of them were that specific list uh, of the lists I recorded. Um, Post FAQ, we've had 48 recorded uh, Knights of Secondary or uh, Castellans of Secondary. 60 of, the, of these lists uh, were primary guard. Uh, the next closest is Admech, which have had nine. That Imperial Guard record uh, is 234, 96, and 7. It has a, over a 70% win rate when they're allied to wow. House Raven Castellan. I think I mentioned that earlier. Without, yeah. <laughs> without an, uh, a Castellan, Imperial Guard are at 47.19%. Oh, my god! And that's actually... It's actually lower because in that case, I didn't remove the mirrors. So mirror matches for guard mm. actually bring it closer to 50%. It's it's would be about a 45. Which makes sense, Yikes. actually. Um, guard. Yeah, but it's still yeah, hard. It's really yeah. So, yeah. So the Castellan, uh, as I say here, ha- has had a gross 7.18% impact on Imperial Guard win rates. So just having a Castellan in your, in your guard list bumps you well above the 50% win rate. I wonder what the I wonder what the Castellan win rate would be because obviously you don't have enough people running like pure knights with just a Castellan, um, but I wonder what that win rate would be. Um, I have it here. Versus okay, so comparatively, uh, oh maybe there's maybe you're going to add more, but comparatively, Imperial Knights have a fifty four point nine two percent win rate, um, and uh, so eight ninety four seven thirty one and thirty one. The Castellan only has had a decimal eight percent impact, a positive impact. Oh, wow. So knights that, so imperial knights that, whether they run the Castellan or not, it doesn't have a major impact on their on their actual win rates. Um, and surprisingly, when you remove the mirror from imperial knights, they become the second best win rate of all factions uh, at sixty five percent, like almost on the nose, sixty five percent. So only Anari perform better. Um, the reason why you tend to see a, the reason why we see such a, a like a lower win rate for Imperial Knights is the simple fact that they play themselves so much. So very yeah. frequently, your primary knights are playing against primary knights because they make up you know twelve to fifteen percent of the meta at tournament to yeah, tournament. And as knight players know, 
if you're playing the mirror match, it really depends on who goes first and who rolls three up saves better. And that's and, it. And yeah. and so and in in my case for the data that I pull, um, one of them always wins and one of them always loses unless they draw. And, then, <laughs> and so either way, um, it's huh. it's having an impact on on their uh, on their win rate. Um, Weird. Well, I know, eh? Like you would think there'd be some kind of like uh, non-Euclidean math I could do there to, to straighten it out, but unfortunately, no. Uh, they 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 agree to some kind of ceasefire and withdraw <laughs> order, and they both win. Uh, anyway, oh no, it's it is it is not recorded as a win, a loss, or a draw. I don't know what I would do with that data. Uh, come create yeah. some kind of infinite loop. A uh, thousand suns. Uh, overall, the third best performing army over the last six months. Uh, without with the mirror removed, they're at a fifty nine point three percent win rate. Um, they have the best win rate uh, versus Anari, and they're the only faction with a greater than fifty percent win rate uh, against that faction. Um, they're currently set at twelve eight and one, and they've been seven and two versus Anari since the fact. Uh, so they've just gotten better and better. Uh, the makeup of the successful lists in that matchup only share Ariman and two Demon Princes of Zinch. Everything else is just whack-a-mole, either Zangor spam, Bloodletter spam, excuse me, Cultist spam, some <laughs> mix of all of those. Just like whatever can get you a ton of bodies uh, between you and the enemy um, and whether or not that ton of bodies can punch the other person in the face super hard or not. Um, <laughs> against Guard plus Castellan. Thousand Suns are seven, fourteen, and one. Against regular guard, they are fourteen and four, and they are thirty-six, twenty-one, and one against Imperial Knights. So yeah. they really only struggle in that guard plus Castellan matchup. Any other mix-up of those two factions, they don't care about. It takes the combined power of two Imperial Bros to take out the Thousand <laughs> Suns. Yeah, yeah, and and, mm. and that actually makes sense too, right? Because you know, on paper, Thousand Suns bring the bodies to be able to deal with knights and win games that way. They also bring the hard-hitting, tough characters that guard players can't deal with uh, in the Demon Princes and the, with the smites and stuff, too. So, yep. Yeah, that's cool. And and then lastly, we have our Drukari. Uh, they have the fourth best uh, record uh, by win rate over the last six months. 58.3% uh, with the mirror match removed. Versus Inari, they've been 16 and 24 um, the the difference between double spear and single spear versus Drukari is negligible. It's it's about the same. They just lose either way, um, but barely. Like it's it's a it's like a eight and eleven on either side or eight and twelve. Um, versus Thousand Suns, they're twenty two sixteen and three. Versus Imperial Knights, they're fifty five forty nine and four. Once again, versus that Castlin plus Guard combo, nine twenty two and one. Um, hmm. so yeah, so the castle and plus guard, even though it has had a, like a, a, a decent drop post FAQ, uh, because pre FAQ, it, it was absurd. I gave you that number, Pablo, uh, like months and months and months ago, the blood angels combo alone was at a 75%. Win yeah. Rate. I remember that. That uh, was the, um, the list. Even with, uh, if, and, and when I remove the, uh, the mirror match on that, that combo, it's actually more like 82%. Oh so, like, it was an absolute dominant list that needed to be fixed. Um, it's, 
you can tell based off the stats that it it's been handled to a degree. It's still devastating. Uh, the Castellan in particular is just a disgusting creature. The fact that it uh, completely like negates the use of a bunch of models in people's codexes um, is probably yeah. something that needs to be looked at. But it's not the only thing. Like Dark Reapers do the same thing, just not as not as well. It's they're slightly less disgusting. Um, yeah, and more dealable exactly. in many cases. Yeah, like they don't have uh, twenty-seven wounds. You have to get through with a three-up involm. You just have to find them. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So it, I said it. Sorry. Oh, no, sorry. I was just gonna tag on one final like thought there. I I said it back when they made the change from the FAQ. I don't think they have done enough to rein the Castellan in. I think it is still very problematic for the game and for tournament scene in particular. I agree. Um, and something more needs the CP changes do a little bit to slow it down but even as it stands it is still an incredibly dominant piece yeah i just go, sorry go ahead peter I, I, I was just gonna say like and i've already i guess i already said it like any unit that completely negates the ability for you to take for most armies to take half their codex needs to be evaluated um yeah. and 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 that and that goes not just for the castlin but the castlin is just like the the big bad right now. Um, my biggest fear going into the FAQ was the Castellan was so dominant that we weren't going to see enough changes to other stuff. Um, and I think that that happened, but it wasn't as bad as, as kind of like the little doomsayer in my, in my heart uh, had made it out to be. Um, Cause there are other things that need to be looked at, but it was just so glaring and it's, it still is glaring. I, I think I'm a little sad it didn't get that point increase in uh, chapter approved that it probably needed. Yeah, um, it should have gone up by like fifty to eighty points. I think. I think that would be acceptable just to make it so that you actually had to think twice about like how to fit it into a list. I, it would still be a, a, like an amazing piece to add to guard, well, but yeah, everyone would still bring it, but you'd at least be paying a more reasonable price yeah, for I it. Agree. Anyway, that's my little rant. I guess at the end of the my stats uh, that's that's what i've got guys is there anything else you wanted to uh, talk about or? yeah so so um i have one quick question what do you have the matchup the most played matchup the most played matchup hmm. period i can i can probably find that for you okay um, it'll so, take me a minute if you want while, to while discuss peter's, things with yeah so so while peter's getting that um i i i, I agree with you guys in that the castellan has all, it, it needs to be toned down. It's over centralizing the game clearly. Um, you know, you have even the top five. You know, when three out of the and Inari aren't performing great against Castellan either, but um, you know, two out of the top four factions are not performing well against you know one specific list, which is the Castellan and Guard list. Uh, I think you have a a bit of a problem. I thought I thought Thousand Suns would be able to do better against the Castell and the Guard plus Castell list, but that's not the case. Uh, 7, 14, and 1 is, is ridiculous. Um, you know, so I... It falls back to that whole Guard just annihilate chaos. Uh, that Thousand Suns list relies heavily on putting all its bodies in front of those smite-casting characters to keep them alive, and when you're using Guard firepower to just evaporate all those guys in incredibly short order, that doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, and it's, yeah, so I, I don't know, if, if you were GW, um, I don't know how you would fix this, but, uh, you know, from all the books I've read on game design, um, you definitely don't want lists above 60%, or even around 60%, 
um, with a, a win percentage for a healthy meta, right? Like, like I've always go I, ahead. I think sixty is on the border of acceptable. Seventy is absolutely yeah, yeah. Sixty is like is like dominant, right? So if you look at healthy metas in general, like the history of just competitive gaming, not not just with forty k, but just in general with anything like sports, sixty percent is is like is very very dominant. Right, like if you're an NFL team and you make and you win sixty percent of your games and then sixty percent of your playoff games, you'll you'll go on like a run that's not quite the Patriots dynasty, and this is for all you NFL players out there. But you'll go on a run that would be Hall of Fame caliber, right? And, and that should be extremely rare. That's something that you should see once a decade, maybe, right? That that's how so that's how rare sixty percent should be, right? And then if you if you tone it down, I always felt like a healthy meta should be. You're, you should have four or five factions or, or like roughly 20% of your factions hovering around 55%, which is actually kind of where 40k is now. Uh, you, you know, you have like Orcs, Tau, r- currently right now in the snapshot, Orcs, Tau, Dark Eldar, Inari, Thousand Suns, uh, Knights, and Guard combined are all hovering around 55% or better, where Inari and Guard, Inari and Castell and Lister are hovering way above that. So if you were to bring those two factions in, rein them into a 55%, and then maybe boost Space Wolves, Sisters of Battle, um, you know, some of the lower Necron, some of the lower tier factions, and kind of boost them up to at least a 45%, I think you're good. Like, I, I feel like that would be the ideal meta. And then, Sean, you can totally disagree with me. I, I understand there's dozens of philosophies on, on how what a balanced meta looks like. But that would be, for me personally, that would be, I would be comfortable with that being in that meta and calling that meta completely balanced. Yeah, I think for my part, I would say that um, if we can rein in the Castellan and Yanari, those are the two problem factions right now. And if we, if GW can fix those then I think the game is in a really good place. That was one of the comments we had at the Charity Hammer stream that a number of players talked about is there is really good list diversity in the game right now, arguably better than it's ever been before. And it's just a couple of things that are still really problematic. Um, And if we fix those, then like we have a game that is in a really, really good place. Um, I think that, uh, I don't have any secret info, but I think that we may see either an FAQ or an actual codex for Yanari that, like Sisters of Battle, completely changes how their core mechanic works, and I think that's what needs to be done. Um, and the Castellan just, it needs to be more expensive, and even if it's more expensive, I don't really like the philosophy that GW has for that kind of vehicle in general, but there's obviously nothing that can be done about that. Um, just making it more expensive so that it's not in every single list will go a long ways towards helping bring at least some diversity in the game. Yeah, I, I think, I think they probably shouldn't have allowed it to have relics and warlord traits, um... Well, the fact that you can get it up a three-up in Vuln yeah. is absolutely unacceptable, and not just at knights in general. Yeah. You should not have three-up in Vulns on models with more than twenty wounds. I think you w- that is unpardonable. I think if you change a rotate iron shield so it maxes at four, 
uh, four up in yes. bone, and then you say that the and then you yes increase it fifty to a hundred points somewhere in that range. Um, Honestly, rotate alone gives would it go a, a huge long ways nerf. towards fixing it. I that was what I expected them to do with the September FAQ. The, that they didn't was just it blew me away and I was not the only. Oh, I'm one. sure I I was I'm along with you. Um, yeah, I think like that change plus maybe a, a bit of a points increase. You have a, a very you you really do go a long way to fixing the meta. An Inari Codex goes that extra step, and then it'll just be tweaks. Mm, taking a look at how how good orcs become, for example, um, mm-hmm. reevaluating Drukari and Thousand Suns. I think. Uh, Prophets of Flesh needs a looking a look at because it's it's either look at grotesques and Talos and maybe up their points or uh, change Prophets of Flesh completely because it's bonkers. Uh, yeah, and it needs a little bit of adjustment. To, it's too dominant right and, now, if, in, at least in terms of the internal. So, so yeah. So one thing I want to say is is if you, if you're GW and you're listening to this, you've listened, first off you listened to us for two hours talk about basically dissect the game that you created um, and also talk a little smack about it so sorry um, but if you're gonna be listening to this no. I, th- I th- you should not only look at at the over centralizing lists and models in the game but also the power vacuum that they'll create when they're removed right so if mm-hmm. you take out that the castellan mm-hmm. list like if you kill that list look at where dark Eldar and thousand suns appear. Like, all of a sudden, you know, their worst matchup is non-existent. All they have is all these amazing matchups, right? So ditto yeah. with Inari. Um, you know, so it you, it's it's definitely a, a balance that, that you need to you need to keep in some way. I don't know how you nerf the Castellan list in a way so that it gives the Dark Eldar, but basically all the, the factions, a better matchup against it without making those factions too dominant. Well, I think once you get to a point where the Castellan's not in 20% of lists, all of a sudden people can take other things that they have been too scared to take, and maybe that fixes that power vacuum. There's a lot that you'd have to look at, but you're, you're 100% right. That's probably the second smartest thing I've ever heard you say, Pablo. Uh, I don't thank say you. a lot of those things. <laughs> oh, you say you say some decent things. You really <laughs> enjoy ketchup chips, so I'm, I'm glad you do. I'm glad someone, someone in, in California does. Um, so just to answer your question, Previous question before we forget. Uh, the the number one matchup I've seen is Imperial Knights versus Imperial Knights, which Damn obviously it. is a 50%, 50 percent, fifty fifty at two hundred and thirty nine uh, appearances. Uh, sorry, two hundred and forty. Um, and uh, the next is Imperial Knights versus Astra Militarum. There's been a hundred and fifty of those, and uh, Astra Militarum are on top barely. They have a fifty two point six seven percent win percentage. So when you Against have the, night. the two most common factions playing each other, comes out to a slight advantage for the guardsmen. So the you guard players out there, you true, you know, regiment four nineteen reporting for duty, sir. Guardsmen players, you know who you are. Take pride in that. You you beat the yeah. knights. Take pride that you brought a castellan to, to play against somebody who brought th- <laughs> three knights, and you managed to kill one a turn. Um, <laughs> Also, 419, more like 420, am I right? Oh. Anyways, um, so that's pretty much the episode, guys. Uh, thank you very, very much for listening. If you have any more questions, of course, go to 40kstats.com. Talk to Peter. He'll help you out. Also, uh, send him something. Send him some love. 
some compliments, some uh, what is the what is our equivalent of the ketchup chip, Sean? Ooh, um. Uh, I'm gonna send you guys coffee crisps next time. No, no, don't stop those more. You, you know what? I'm gonna send you a <laughs> slice of people pizza with pineapple on it. I love pineapple on pizza. Ooh. That's I was, amazing. I, I was gonna say I was gonna say fried Twinkies might Ooh, be the I've most. I've never had American. one of those. Wait, wait, I've what? heard of fried butter. Yeah. I didn't know that that was a thing until I I went to America. But oh yeah, we fr- we'll fry anything. Oh, yeah. I, I, I mean, we, like <laughs> sometimes you can you can literally get things that are just deep fried batter. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Not anything at the center. Oh, just I know what deep it, fried we have. Batter. See, in America, we have this thing called the if you're gonna say thanksgiving i'm gonna (laughs) (laughs) no no there's this thing where you get two krispy kreme donuts and you put a fried chicken patty between the two krispy kreme donuts okay and and then you put maybe some like whipped cream on top and then like jelly oh they're they're jelly filled donuts they're not regular krispy they're jelly filled krispy Mm. kreme donuts you put some like cheese in there and you eat all that up we gotta send you one of those so Guys, if you if you love Peter, send don't, send them all do the way that. up to the north. It's they're not gonna make it. Is the problem? <laughs> yeah. Also, if you love Peter, don't do that. He'll die. Yeah. It'll be moldy, and it'll be like a barrel of eating some of it. I was I was just thinking the heart attack, <laughs> oh, but um, no, the wolves yeah, will get to too. it before I do. Um, yeah, where I live, or beavers? Yeah. Is it be- be- beavers eat that? I assume. They I'm, would. Yeah, it's basically wood. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Also, also, guys. Um, we, we, you know, at towards the end, we talked a little bit of doom and gloom, but I, I have full faith that GW will fix things like the Castellan come the FAQ. So you have to understand oh, and- that that chapter approved happened. Um, they were, you know, they're working on chapter approved X months before, which maybe meant that the Castellan wasn't on their radar. I don't know. I'm, I'm not GW, um, but I would imagine that come the FAQ post Adepticon. They would probably fix some of these things. So I. Oh, and go ahead. Sorry, I just want to say, like, even though I did sound a little bit like, "Oh, this is garbage," um, this is the best Warhammer's been in forever, guys. So if absolutely, so like, don't take my slight complaints about like one or two models. Like, like, I mean, I've played this game for twelve years. I got in just before Grey Knights were released for fifth edition, and that was a shit show. Um, mm-hmm. Like, Dark Eldar players didn't get a codex for like six years. So, so this is. Oh, this it was is longer than that. I know, but it was ridiculous. So, guys, like this is incredible. This company's incredible. The player base is incredible. We just raised six thousand dollars for a charity. Like this shit doesn't happen um, with a shitty uh, game. Like this is stuff. This yeah. is real. We're in a real position now. So I'm I'm so excited. I wouldn't do stats for seventh edition Warhammer because it would have <laughs> well it would have killed me. Um, but like <laughs> this is great. Like anyway, sorry. Like yeah. this is fantastic. No. I think I think that's worth we sort of mentioned it briefly earlier, but like we said, if you fix Yanari and the Castellan, you have a really good and balanced game. You can't go back to seventh edition or sixth or fifth and say that where like if you fix these two lists, the game is actually really well balanced. That was never true before. Like if you fix Battle Company and Yanari in seventh edition, you just had Wolf, Wolf Star and Riptide Wing and a hundred yeah. other things running wide. Yeah, if you go back like, and look you, at like top eights yeah. from from previous years, it would be like seven would be when Necrons were big, for example, it was like seven lists were Necrons, and there was like one guy who ran Space Wolves in a fucking uh, apartment, like, uh, like a fortification, and that was it. Like that was your top yeah. eight, so yeah, yeah. T- 2017. The game is doing really yeah, well. Yeah, we're we're doing a lot better. Um, <clears throat> we looking at the list, the top list now. 
Uh, just in general, even the top eight lists are a lot more diverse. Uh, when you know, compare them to 2017, uh, when you saw like double Death Star. Actually, the most diverse thing was was William Abilese's Tau list when when he brought the um, Skyfires with his Riptide Wing and his Tau list and the Storm Surge. That was the, those were the Gundam <laughs> Tau, uh, and unfortunately, he lost to to um, Brett Perkins and his his double. Double Chaos Death Star and Renegade list, the list that took like two turns to play the game, and that was it. And so, if you didn't win the game by turn two, you you didn't win the game. You guys remember that list? So, oh, that list yeah. was awful. We did. We were talking about that in the Charity Hammer stream. It was just the worst to place all those yeah, yeah. markers and all the shenanigans. You yeah, there, do. so so 2017. You know when the, this was this 2017? Yeah, it was because because this year. Yeah, that was seven. That was seventeen and sixteen. It was seventeen and 16. guys. We finish games now. <laughs> we actively yeah. try to like. There's no. There's far. I mean, in Europe, whatever they do their own thing. But here, we actually try to get games done. <laughs> Think about that. We, we like, try. what kind mm-hmm. of friggin' world do we live in? We also didn't have. That's crazy. Exactly. Yeah. The- we actually want to have a game that goes six rounds. People are actively trying to do that now. <laughs> uh, anyways, mm-hmm. guys, yeah, the big. point is, is this has been a wonderful year of Warmer 40k. This has also been a great year for Chapter Tactics. We got new co-hosts who have uh, helped tremendously. The number one compliment I get is thanks for bringing the co-hosts on. Uh, and every single co-host, even even Sean, um, <laughs> has been complimented <laughs> and has and people have told me that I they are glad that they've been brought on. I'm just joking, Sean. People love you. No, no, I deserve it. <laughs> but guys, Pablo Martinez has a podcast. Did you hear about this? <laughs> um, but anyways, guys, 2018, 2019, we're doing great. But uh, we're 2019. It's gonna be a lot of great years ahead of us. We have an LVO coming up, so look for a- analysis next week. Uh, I'm gonna try and get some pro pro players or players that are that are looking to make the top eight at the LVO on the next couple weeks. Um, I didn't do that last year. I kind of moved away from it a little bit. But the year before, if you guys remember, I had a uh, prominent player on every week leading up to the LVO starting in December. So I'm going to do something like that now. Um, and then we'll have the Las Vegas open and that'll be kind of like the official close to the ITC season. So I'm really, really excited guys. Thank you for a wonderful year and we will see you all next week. See you later.